right, I'm gonna record. We going live, live too. So okay, okay, okay. Hopefully the guests don't be too disrespectful or anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are. We live, we live in full effect. What up, everybody? Yeah, air horn, air horn, air horn, spam that shit, man. <laughs> We are back at another exciting episode of Jim to Juice. I don't know if this is the well, we'll, we'll, we'll figure all that later. But anyway, yeah. we have a, a special guest joining us right off the bat, man. You know, we always say we're not too much of a sports podcast here, but you know, me and Figgy do work in sports radio, and it's been a hot, hot winter for uh, a lot of sports going on right now, man. We got the NBA trade trade deadline going crazy. We got NFL Super Bowl coming up this Sunday. And, of course, uh, the Houston Texans have a new coach and everything that's going on around that. So we had to bring in the football guru. I got to say, man, it is, this dude is a football savant. I don't know anybody who knows more about anything than this man knows about football. <laughs> I'll say that much, man. Uh, sometimes I'm hearing the draft coverage and I'll hear uh, – the Texans pick a, a six-round guy, and this guy will say, oh, he was so – I remember in high school. I was watching him in high school. He's so – like, high school. And this dude, I never even heard him in my life, and John Harris has been following his whole career. I, I spoiled the surprise. We have John Harris joining us. Yeah. Football guru, sideline reporter for the Houston Texans, and just a uh, very knowledgeable man about sports. He's going to educate us a little bit about the great sport of football. So how you doing, John? I'm doing well, guys. Uh, you know, it's it's that time of year getting draft. You know, this, you know, I went to the Senior Bowl uh, last week uh, down in Mobile, Alabama. And, you know, when I first went to the Senior Bowl, 14, 15, 16, I always got an interview with Bill O'Brien. I'd get Rick Smith. we do that year after year. It became just kind of thing we did. The last three years I've gone, there hasn't been anybody that's joined me from the Texans because there's always been a coaching change. Man. So it's just been me. Uh, down there in Mobile. So uh, hopefully that'll change next year that we got this thing going with uh, Nick as GM and D'Amico as uh, as head coach, and we can rock from here. But, yeah, it's been pretty cool. It's an exciting time. It's February, and everybody thinks, oh, February kind of stinks. But, you know, Super Bowl this weekend, like you guys said, and, uh, and you know, the Texans doing their thing and trying to hire some coaches. It sounds like we got a D.C. now, and now we're looking at the offensive coordinator and rocking from there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, on a personal note, I always wondered because um, so me and you kind of worked together for the Texans broadcast on game days. Um, But after the Texans season ends, you guys are kind of off air for a while and until the end of the Super Bowl. And then you guys come back and do Texans radio offseason, building up the draft and all that from then on. So what do you guys do? You guys kind of take a little like a short vacation during that time. (laughs) What do you what do you do? Are you still working or? What goes on during that time? Okay. He's reaching his bag. Yeah, you see, in my bag. So this is a Microsoft Surface, uh, which I'm not being uh, coy or anything. This is a Microsoft Surface. <laughs> this thing becomes uh, about um, as important to me as my wife. If I had it on, I'd show <laughs> you. But I've got on this, I think, right now, uh, this year, I've probably got about 40 or 50 college games. And I just – you know. Which guy am I watching today? Which team am I watching today? Uh, today for me, it was was Will Levis. And I'm working on a Will Levis uh, quarterback breakdown. Um, and it's funny because I get that question a lot, Ryan. Like, all right, season's over. But like, you get to hang out, right? You get to, like, man, for me, 
for me, because of my love for the draft and my desire to be part of the draft and all that, it goes right from we played Indianapolis and now we're going, I'm going to the draft. You know, we have all our, our radio on Monday and that's it. And then all of a sudden the next day just starts draft covering. And it starts before that. I mean, I start, I usually start with the, the, so for example, this 2020 class, I started with back in February or March of last year, because there comes a point and there will come a point with this too. And about a week or two where I'm like, man, I've watched all these guys. I'm kind of tired of it. And I take about a two, two and a half week kind of break where I start looking at the next class. And so that's when I get started on the new class. And so I've been working on this class since like February, March and being one guy, I mean, I kind of need that time. And so I was talking with James Lipford, uh, who is the director of scouting for the Texans. And he asked me, he said, when do you start, are you start in the spring. I'm like, no, no, I, I start even before that kind of late winter, you know, February, March. I said, I have to, I said, that's kind of when I need to do it. But when that hits in February, I've seen these guys a number of times, but I take this surface and I just, I beat it up. I take it with me everywhere. I went to, to Mobile and I'd have it with me, um, you know, every day just watching games. Like I said, watching Will Levis today, Kentucky taking on Mississippi State, you know, looking for a, you know, a nugget, trying to find that fifth or sixth rounder that nobody's talking about, you know, that, so I could talk about it. You know, watching Damian Pierce last year, seeing him at the combine, um, going, you know what, man, this would be a really, he'd be a good fit, you know, for the Texans and being able to tell, his story and talk about him on, on draft coverage when everybody else is like, okay, great. Damian Pierce, fun. He's a running back, whatever. But then I can bring a little something extra to it and not trying to be extra, but just trying to, you know, give as much inf information and be entertaining at the same time. Um, try to do that for the Texans fans so they can learn about these guys and get up to speed as quick as possible. Man, so you work it. So you don't, you ain't, you don't take no damn vacation. You just out there working <laughs> soon as the show in. That's, oh, I mean, that's shocking. You, think you're married, so you understand this. But <laughs> my wife yells at me all the time about when are we going to take a vacation? When are we going to take a vacation? So, like I was talking about the Senior Bowl, and because we've had so much kind of upheaval with the Senior Bowl, and it basically became just me at the Senior Bowl. My wife came up with this great idea. She's like, "Hey, can we tag along with you, and we'll get a place, you know, near the beach." which is about 45 minutes, 50 minutes away from uh, from Hancock-Whitney at University of South Alabama where the Senior Bowl is. And so they get a vacation out of it, and I work the entire week. But at least I'm there with them. So that's my quote-unquote vacation. That's two birds and with I, one stone. I, yeah, I mean, I kind of keep everybody kind of keep everybody happy with that, and they, they love it, and, and I love it. But, uh, yeah, it, I don't – I mean, people ask me, like, what I do. Like, what do you, what do you like to do? And I'm like, I like to go to the beach. A lot of times I go to the beach, I bring my surface with me. Um, and my, the, the, I don't know, famous story I like to tell was back right when, right when COVID hit, right when COVID hit, uh, my wife, we had already scheduled a week at the beach in Galveston. And we were going to go down there for a week. It was my daughter's senior year. And we we're going to go down there, celebrate kind of her senior year, and then finish up her graduation. And uh, off she was going to go to Los Angeles for a gap year, et cetera. So we went down there, and obviously COVID hits. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. And I brought my Surface, and I'm like, well, I might as well get caught up on things. And so I went outside. It was a great day. I sat at the table, and I had Florida versus Missouri, and I fell in love with this, this edge rusher from Florida. I'm like, this dude's throwing everything. He's got, like, spin moves. He's got 
up and under. She's got everything. Man, John Grenard's a badass. I want this guy. And then fast forward to draft coverage. It's day two. And Mark says to me, hey, uh, what do you think here? Pick number 90. What do you think? And I'm like, well, you know what? John Grenard's one of my favorites. I see him still on the board. And Mark's like, well, you're going to get your wish. And I was like, are you kidding me? They actually <laughs> drafted a guy I like. So, so, yeah, I take the surface with me. And, I mean, if I go on vacation, I'm just chomping at the bit to watch ball anyway. So was, I've got a little older. I know kind of when to take a break here or there. But a full-on, like, week of vacation in February, March just isn't going to happen. Not, not for me. I would just be – I would be miserable. And I'd make everybody else miserable for that same reason. <laughs> That man, John Harris, is about the grind set, y'all. This man is uh, all about the grind 24-7. I feel you, though, man. Um, so the Microsoft service, you keep bringing that up. Is that like a special thing you get in the NFL, or do you just get it because you like it? Because I noticed everybody <laughs> in the NFL uses a Microsoft yeah. service. We've seen yeah. Tom Brady throw it around. Yeah, uh, Is that like a special NFL Microsoft Surface you guys have? I, it, it's not so much that it's special, but it's just for, for my Telestrator – um, our film department, uh, I get, uh, I, I go to our film department, my, my guy, Tommy, Tommy hooks me up. Um, I mean, he's, he's my supplier, man. I mean, I go to him for anything and I just say, Hey, Tommy, you know, for Telestrator this week, I want to do these specific plays. And so I time stamp them and say, I want these three or four plays. And so he gives me those plays. And so on that same surface throughout the year, he'll, you know, I'll say, Hey, can I get these college games? He's like, Absolutely eight to 10 college games, um, you know, away you go. And so I just keep kind of hitting them up for about eight to 10 each time until I you know, load up and I've got about 50 or 60 on the surface. And so that's really what it is. I mean, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, for people that want, I'm usually Apple products, but they gave me the surface and, and I'm like, you know, cool. I'm good with that. And they give me a, a little remote and I just sit there and just kind of forward back, forward back. And I used to be a coach. And so that just kind of, it kind of satisfies that itch of, of missing out on being a coach in some sense. So, so yeah, so they, they, I'm, I'm borrowing it, but you know, okay. everybody kind of knows it as my, you know, surface, but it's what I do my telestrator on and, and I can draw and do pictures on it and show what's, what's happening and things like that. But, but yeah, it just loads up with a bunch of games and, you know, I just sit there and watch them and, you know, going on a flight to the combine, I'll be sitting there with one and I'll look across and there'll be one of our scouts and he's got one too. He's going through his game. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely about – there's there's a there's a big part of me that wishes I would have been a scout that I just didn't get into it soon enough. And I just got to a point where I'm too far, too far into my life and what I'm doing to I'll just keep I'll just keep doing this because I'm pretty happy doing what I'm doing uh, and going from this direction. Yeah, I kind of feel like you have the best of all worlds because you get to do scout work, plus you get to cover the team and, you know, do all – so you kind of have the best of both worlds. But I understand, though. The, the desire to, to be an official scout. Um, so we got to get your thoughts, man, because I haven't heard what you think of yet. We haven't heard Texans radio, of course, locally since yep. the end of the season of their season. Yep. So the Texans have a new head coach, man. <laughs> finally, 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 we got our guy. D'Amico Ryans is officially Ooh. the head coach of the Houston Texans. Um, and I just want to get your thoughts. Like, I know you guys are excited like we are, but number one, did you anticipate it happening? And what was your reaction when you heard the news? Number one, did I anticipate it happening? You know, it's funny because Mark and I would, you know, not being on the air, you know, it's funny when you're, when you're used to being on the air and then you're not on the air. And obviously 
Ryan, you know about how much we talk, not only yeah. during the game, but <laughs> off the air too. Um, we're talking all the time. And so it's strange when we go this kind of dark period, when we're not talking, like, what do we do? And so Mark and I would literally get in studio and just talk about everything. And so we kept, we kept saying, we, it got to a point where it was, okay, we know the best case scenario is D'Amico. We can't even discuss that anymore. What happens if it's not? Like, if it's not, what would you want to happen? And so we would talk through those scenarios. But at the top was, kind of to your point, did we anticipate it? We didn't. Um, we didn't really know what to anticipate. But we both wanted D'Amico. And I thought Landry asked an interesting question one day as I was listening uh, to you guys figure. He asked the question of, what is it about D'Amico that you want that's not that doesn't start with well he used to be a Texan and I thought it was an interesting way to think about it because I do think that there is a lot of splash that goes with him being a former Texan and being so well regarded as a former Texan that adds to the splash but to me I thought about he's the consummate leader he's got an incredible football intellect his football character is unbelievable I think his off the field character is tremendous uh, I think it absolutely helps that his wife is from Houston, um, that she would want to come back to the Houston area. That always helps. The fact that he looked at this as his dream job, that he used those words, that it's his dream job, I thought was really, I thought it was it was awesome to hear because the one thing that I remember about a former head coach, he was never going to say the Texans was his dream job, and and which is fine. I don't I don't need that for that to be the case, but I'll. I'll I always felt like there was, you know, he was just the coach of the Houston team, and that was all that it, that it was. And I was like, man, if I'd have been the coach, say I would have been the coach of the Atlanta Falcons or I'd have been the coach of the L.A. Rams, man, I would have been sporting that. I would have been so proud to be that organization's leader. And I never got that. I never got that feeling um, at all. I get that feeling with D'Amico, and I think that will rub off on this organization's players. I think the players will understand it. And obviously you have some players from Houston. So you throw all that in a big booyah base and you think, man, okay, um, it's time to rock. And and the respect that D'Amico has around the league, it just, it really spoke volumes. And so I've, I've told the story and, you know, a few podcasts, different radio interviews, but the last three years when I would go to Mobile and I always wear Texans gear because, you know, I'm with the Texans. And when I talk to players, I want them to know I'm with Houston. So if we end up in Houston together, hey, we have that connection. John Grenard and I, um, we had that connection from jump because I interviewed him because I go to the senior bowl thinking, okay, what positions might we look at in the draft? And that year I was like, we're going to draft an edge rusher at some point. We need one. Uh, we don't have Clowney anymore. We got to find an edge rusher. And so I interviewed a ton of edge rushers. Uh, there's a Dak Prescott interview I have from back in 2016. Oh, wow. Um, because that, that year we were thinking about quarterbacks before we got Brock Osweiler. So, so I wear my Texans gear, you know, representing. And the last couple of years, in particular last year, I was going into the stadium and I passed these two Jamokes on the outside and I heard, I could hear them. I heard the word Texans. And then I heard them kind of chuckling and laughing to one another. And mm -hmm. I wanted to turn around and I, I mean, I don't think people know <laughs> People that don't, that know me personally know that's not something I'm down with, that I'm I'm quick to say something. I just held it in. I was like, "What can I say?" I mean, it. it, it they were right. We we're we we're, we we're a mess, and we hadn't gotten out of it. This year, I showed up to Hancock Whitney, 
And I felt the eyes on me again because I was still wearing Texans gear. But then I would have people that I knew come up to me like, oh, man, D'Amico. And I'm like, well, it's not done yet. It's not done yet. And so they but they were like, man, it's exciting. I'm like, yeah, it's exciting. And I want it to happen. But it wasn't done yet. And I've always heard Mark in my ears, 99% sold is 100% unsold. And I kept thinking, man, this this can't fall through, can it? This can't happen. And so it was about 4.30 that afternoon. I'm actually, uh, I'm watching O-line, D-line. I'm like four feet away from watching, you know, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse go against Derek Hall. They're going at it. And I get a text. I can feel the text in my pocket on my phone. And it's like, it's official. D'Amico's in. <laughs> and like this wave of just for real, like for real, for real. Oh man, that was a good one. Hall. I like that pass rush move. Like it was that quick. And it just was like, I can't believe this. And I got to the car and I just, I got in the car at the end of practice and I just started grabbing and banging on a steering wheel. Like finally, like finally, because I don't know that anybody can really, I mean, I know, I know fans, I know people that have been near it, have been close to it. They understand it. But I don't know that anybody other than Mark really kind of understands what we've been through because we do Texans radio. We just get skewered the last three years. Why are they talking about Texans? Well, because A, we work for the Texans, and B, we're Texans radio genius. We got that (laughs) from everybody. I mean, I can't tell you the hundreds of tweets I would get from people. I love you, John. I just can't do it. I can't put one ounce of time and energy into this organization. I just, I can't do it. And I, I understood it. I understood it. And it was like at 4.45, whatever time it was, by the time I finally got to my car, when I realized that can be over, finally. Um, that can be over. Um, and, you know, look, Mark and I, we're the faces and the voice of that thing. And we're trying to, you know, there were times we were trying to put lipstick on a pig, let's be honest. And, and, and it was hard. It was hard. And then this year we found some positives, but, you know, Damien was a positive and he got hurt. Jalen Petrie is a positive for the most part, except for tackling at times. And just couldn't find a way to win games and kind of turn that corner. And, you know, it's it's been it's been tough. But then D'Amico Ryans gets added. And I did four interviews the very next morning in like four different cities in Texas. And they were like, man, you got to be excited. And I was like, I can't even tell you guys. Like I'm almost, I'm almost in, in tears in some sense because of how hard it's been for the last three years. I mean, you look at the 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 record. I think at one point, um, you know, it was it was four and twelve, four and thirteen, three, thirteen, and one. And so that's eleven wins. Five of those were the Jags. Now <laughs> that's obviously crazy. the Jags have the Jags have turned, you know, turned yes. it around, but it's like, you know, it's great to get those wins, but five of them, almost half were against the Jags. And like, come on, man, we gotta turn this corner. And now D'Amico's at it. And you're thinking, whoa, okay, this is for real. We can start to get excited. And people can start to get excited about, about the Texans again. And, you know, there's some people out of the building. There, uh, there's trade capital that came from a trade that we desperately needed to happen. All those clouds seemingly have lifted and moved. And now D'Amico's in. And I go back to one thing Mark always says. He's like, we got to play these games eventually. But I think we're going to be in much better shape in those games than we've been. And we were in a lot of games. I mean, I don't 
you know, I, I mean, we were in a lot of games in the fourth quarter. I don't think even if we'd won all of them that we would be considered a championship team. But the biggest thing was we were in those games, but we didn't have elite players at key times to make plays for us uh, in the fourth quarter. And I think that's the difference of teams that win and lose in this league. And when you have elite players like J.J. Watt, like DeAndre Hopkins, uh, like Deshaun Watson, like Jadeveon Clowney, you can make those plays in the fourth quarter and you can win those games like we did in 2018. Um, but when you don't have those elite players making those plays consistently, you're going to win three games. Um, and we get more elite talent to go with the young talent that's here. There's no telling what we can do and continue to build this thing. Um, and it's going to be pretty exciting. Now, does it guarantee that D'Amico is going to win 12 games right off the bat and we're the number one seed and we get buys and we're beating Mahomes and whatever else? No, but it just gives fans hope that this thing is moving in the right direction. And even more so, I think what it does is it opens eyes around the league because I don't know how many, I mean, we were in cap hell, but I don't know how many free agents actually considered coming to Houston. I mean, if you were a free agent, were you considering coming to Houston to play here? In the years past, that had been the case. Houston's a great place to be. Houston ends up being uh, home base for a lot of people, um, a lot of players. You know, Adrian Peterson lives here in Houston. There are a lot of players that made Houston home that didn't play here. Um, but could you get some of those guys to now come to Houston because the first guy they meet is either Nick Casario and or D'Amico Ryans, and if I'm a free agent, I'm feeling like, boy, I'm in much better hands. This is a situation I'm going to think about as opposed to a couple of years ago when I guarantee you free agents weren't thinking that way. Uh, and that's going to, I think, turn the tide. You can't build your team with full-on nothing but free agents and big-ticket free agents. you got to build it with some youth. But if you mix in it, if you mix it the right way, like, the say, look at the Eagles. Like the Eagles have, they've got the perfect mix of what they've drafted what they've traded for and what they've signed some off the trash heap, some just high ticket free agents. They've been able to mix that together uh, with a young coach, young aggressive coach and coaching staff and got themselves in the Super Bowl. And, and that's what I'm hoping that we can end up doing is putting a mix of all of that together and becoming the team. Not even that we were back in, in 11, 12, 18, 19, a team that's even beyond that, that the foundation is solid and it's not going anywhere. And it's a face and faces of the organization that are positive people that can can be, uh, you know, what the fans love as opposed to having success. And the fans are like, yeah, but I don't like your coach or I don't like this. And look, fans are going to be I, I understand it, but I feel like there's a lot more to be positive about now than there's been in a long time. And I think that's the biggest thing by adding D'Amico to the mix. Is this the most excited y'all been over at NRG in a long time? And I'm talk, I'm talking, I'm going way back too. Yeah. Because I went to the press conference, and that was my first opening head coaching press conference I ever been to, yeah. and it was wild, man. You had Bun B there, you had Trade the Truth <laughs> there, so many uh, former Texan players was there, and I was talking to Wade Smith um, the the following day, and he said. Um, that was the first time Glover Quinn was there since he, you know, been released. Yeah. And yeah. and he said they didn't really, you know, end on good terms. So for him to be back in that moment in that building was huge. So was that the 
most excited y'all been? I mean, with this hire, I I think so. I mean, you know the 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 convoluted story that is Bill O'Brien uh, and I. Bill Bill and I go go way back. We played in college together, and I tutored him through Econ 111. He told that story more than I did, <laughs> so we we knew each other, uh, and and that that made that made things you know it made it tough at times, especially at the end. It made it tough. Um, but I remember his press conference. I remember being over there and I, and I looked at it through a different prism that day because this is, it was sort of surreal to me because this is my guy. Like I've known him forever. And now he's in my city taking over my organization. It just, it was kind of, it was kind of odd and strange. Um, but as we got to know Bill, you could tell Bill's, you know, Bill was, uh, you know, could be ornery, could be prickly. And, and sometimes that made for good press conferences. And sometimes it made for fans watching going, God, just, you know, it's, it's not like just answer our questions. You know, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room, all that kind of stuff. Um, So I, I remember that press conference. Now I don't remember, I don't remember Bumby or Paul wall um, or Parker McCollum showing up at that (laughs) press conference. I just remember there being a lot of people, and it was pretty cool because it was a guy that I knew. I didn't get a chance to go to this one um, because obviously I was still in Mobile watching O-line, D-line, which is not shocking. But <laughs> I saw everything. I consumed, like, everything that I could possibly consume about the press conference. And I'm seeing pictures of the – one, the one thing that got me the most, Figgy, was when they had a picture of all the former players that were up on stage with D'Amico. That's when I went, whoa. Because I I would imagine that a lot of players that played for the Texans the last you know few years were kind of like yeah I played with the Texans oh I mean they were hearing it you know like Mark and I would you know um, but when D'Amico came back in the building it was like I'm dropping all that um, you know time does heal all wounds I mean everybody remembers D'Amico you know suing NRG and the Texans for what happened to him you know and that guy look if that can get put to the side. Then you know other guys can put you know their their thoughts to the side too, and time does heal wounds, but it also it also pays to communicate, and I think D'Amico could be that bridge to communicate, and I think the more former players you get in the building that are excited about being back, um, the better. I I know it's it's kind of it's kind of hokey in some sense. I still even feel this way when we have a homecoming game, but I love that weekend. Because dudes come back that played on those teams that I started on four in 2014 and 15 and 16. And there'll be some guys that come up to me like, hey, John, remember me? I'm such and such. You know, I was, I was here in 15 and 16. Like, oh, my God, yeah. And and I love that. And there's going to be there are going to be more of those players uh, that come back. And, and the fans can get excited about that. Um, and D'Amico can can utilize that. Um, and, and I'll say this. Lovey Smith, did he used that, too. Um, but there weren't a lot of guys that wanted to come back. But Lovey, Lovey tried to incorporate those guys in as much as he could. He'd have some of those guys speak to the team at practice. Um, but there just weren't that many that wanted to to do that consistently. And now you look up there and there, I mean, I don't know, there are 25, 30 guys up there. I mean, that's pretty cool. I mean, I I, I love I love that. And they're you know, they want to see the Texans be as successful as we all do. And I thought that was really cool to see those guys. But then to see the current players go up there and support him and the young guys, you know, like Derek Stingley, like, hey, man, what what can D'Amico do for me? 
um, you know, and, and staying in year two, what, what can he turn into, you know, playing in D'Amico Ryan's defense? Um, you know, whoever becomes the offensive coordinator, you know, Damian Pierce, what can Damian be uh, in this, in a new offense that, that comes here to Houston with D'Amico and his staff in charge? So I think there's just a lot of excitement about, about a lot of that. And I feel like the thing you also, with the press conference, it was sort of kind of how I felt that being there and celebrating that was sort of an exhale from the last couple of three years. Um, and I had an interesting moment at the senior ball. I was talking to Mike Keith, who's the play-by-play voice of the Tennessee Titans. And he said, you know, John, we have people in our building that have been with us for three, four, five years. And he's like, all they've ever known is winning. Like, ever. And he's like, then we hit a seven-game losing streak and nobody's watching their videos. Nobody's reading their content. And they're looking around going like, what? Like, what's what's wrong? My co- I thought the content was good. They didn't understand what Mike did when the Titans were 5-27. and 27. And I said, Mike, we're the complete opposite. I said, we got people in our building that joined in business ops. And, I mean, we had a really, really big churn in business ops. And so people have been with us for two, three years. Well, what have they seen for the last two or three years? And, I mean, I tell some of those young people, like, look, NRG Stadium rocks, man, and not because the Chiefs fans are there. This place rocks. You will see it. So when D'Amico walked out on Tuesday from one of the offices and he walked out into the big business ops opening area in our building and he just put his fist up, you know, like Judd Nelson Breakfast Club, there was a roar. And it was just sort of this exhale of all this bad that we've been going through is just out. It's just like, it's out. <laughs> it was more of that than anything else. And I felt like the press conference was kind of that more than it was anything, um, not only for us in the building, but I can imagine, you know, people that cover it. I mean, I think about the guys that I see every day. I think about you guys uh, at Sports Radio 610 and what you guys have to go through. You know, even if you say something good about the Texans in that time, you're just getting skewered. Um, and, and as crazy as it sounds, I know media members, look, media members in a particular town, their hits and clicks go up when the teams win. And, mm-hmm. and I, I'm the same way. I put together some of my best telestrators I've ever done in 2022. I'd look up hundred people. You know, I did that back in 15, 16, I'd have 35, 40,000. And so it just, his arrival kind of, you know, signaled a changing of the guard and we don't know where that's going to go, but we do want to see what road it's going down and we want to get on that road and be there because we think it's going to end up in a really good place in a few years for sure. Yep. And you're mentioning the fact that they're building the foundation right now and it seems solid with D'Amico Ryan's um, just heard recently well, today. I think that uh, they're, they're hiring the uh, Cardinals D line coach, Matt Burke. And also apparently Cliff Kingsbury's in the city. Interviewing with the team as well. (laughs) Look, John Harris, I know you're tapped in. Okay, I know you got your sources. I know you know your people. I want you to break the news right here, right now on (laughs) Jimmy Duke's podcast. Is Cliff Kingsbury coming to the Houston Texans? (laughs) (laughs) He left left Thailand? (laughs) I know. Last time I checked, he had a one-way ticket. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I'll tell you this. (laughs) I'll tell you this real quick. Uh, I think I came up with something for Urban Dictionary. Um, I was texting back and forth with with uh, Sean Pendergast this afternoon, and uh, uh, we were talking about Kingsbury. And I said, I said, man, I 
I don't, are they able to get a hold of him? And I just put hashtag Thailand one way. And Sean said, text back and said, that needs to be an urban dictionary. I don't exactly know what it's going to be, um, but it needs to go on urban dictionary because a Thailand one way sounds like it can go a lot of different directions. <laughs> That um, was that was my favorite quote, man. You know I'm saying yeah. I'm not even worried about all that. I I got me a one way ticket to tight. I'm exactly. like that. That is a humble brag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'm done. I'm out of here. And, and watching watching the in season hard knocks, you could tell Cliff was he was that, that season took it out of him, man. I mean, it was four or five quarterbacks. I mean, it was just it was miserable. Um, Brian, I'd love to be able to break that news. It, it you know I, I tell people this all the time, like that. I'm like that. I leave that breaking news part to like McLean or Brooks or, you know, Schefter or Rappaport. I mean, that's nerve wracking. There was, I'm trying to remember which one there was one time. I, I mean, I was definitively told, I can't remember what it is. And I put it out there and I was, I mean, I was nervous as hell for like hours. I was like, this, it's gotta come true. Right. I mean, I was told, I'm like, I'm, I'm not, whatever. I said at that point, I remember when it happened, I was like, oh my God, thank God. Um, <laughs> but I realized at that point that I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to break news. <laughs> I'm not an insider. I'm, I'll, I'll figure it all out and analyze it when it happens. Um, but, you know, breaking news, I don't know. You know, Matt Burke, you know, he's had a couple years of being in DC uh, in Miami in 2017, 2018. And of course, what goes with, and I always find this fascinating. General manager, head coach, offense coordinator, defense coordinator. Those four and the roles they all play, I think there's an assumption about, well, the general manager picks all the players and you know kind of dictates to the coach what the roster is, and then the coach dictates to the coordinators, and then the coordinators call the plays. But 32 teams do it differently. Um, you know, Sean Payton was with the New Orleans Saints. He made every roster decision. But Mickey Loomis was the GM, and Sean Payton called the plays, even though he had an offensive coordinator. But then his defensive coordinator called all the plays and ran everything his own. So I don't know exactly how D'Amico will put it all together um, and whether he wants Matt Burke to be the, the play caller and he runs things, whether it's D'Amico kind of you know sets the bar and, you know, hey, these are the things we need to do this week, and then let's Matt kind of run with things. I know when, when uh, in 2019 – you know, Tim Kelly was the offensive coordinator here, but Bill was still calling the plays. Um, and it it and Tim did all the work an offensive coordinator was supposed to do. And then Bill would, you know, jump in and, and change things, you know, kind of, you know, last minute um, because he saw something he didn't like, but he had so much on his plate. So my point in all that is I don't know exactly how D'Amico's going to put it all together. I don't know if he's going to call defensive plays. I don't know if he is going to – during the week kind of run things and then Matt takes over or vice versa. Like Matt runs things during the week and then D'Amico calls plays. I don't know. Um, Cliff though, as an offensive coordinator becomes really interesting. I feel like his offenses in Arizona, I know uh, I can't remember who put it out. Maybe Sean put it out. Somebody put out like, you know, he was like the offense was 13th, 10th, um, 14th. And then this year bottomed out because they had all the injuries. So they put together some good offenses. I, I think what's what's fascinating is the Texans haven't had a top 16 offense since the Kubiak days. Mm-hmm. Like O'Brien never put together, even with Deshaun pulling magic out of his backside, they, they never put together a top 16 offense, which I know as people hear that now, they're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense because the offense should have been a whole lot better. So I'll take a top. 
half of the league offense. I'll take that. Um, and then we can grow from there. So I, I'm, I'm curious what happens with Cliff. I, I, I don't know if that's totally the way I'd like to go, but if he's willing to listen, um, I'd be all for it. I just want to get people on the same page here. D'Amico being a leader. And I just want, I want competent coaching across the board. And here's the other thing I want, as crazy as it sounds. I thought about this the other day when Tim Kelly was named the offensive coordinator for the Titans. Since 2014, how many coaches, position coaches, um, coordinators, whatever, that the Texans have had have gone on to become a higher-level coach? The one from a position coach to coordinator or a coordinator to a head coach. How many? I mean – yeah, we talk Tim. about it on the show all the time. Uh, John, what's it, John Perry? Yeah, I mean, he went it, to be the OC at Sam. Was it? I think it was Sam he Houston. Was at, he was at Sam Houston, and I and I I love Johnny. I mean, but he went to Sam Houston, and it and it didn't work. And yeah, I mean, I hate that for him, and I hate that for his family. But you know, the coaching staff that was here just they were not getting looks elsewhere. Yeah. Um, for, for whatever reason. And and the only one that did was Vrabel. Well, that was because he was Vrabel. Yeah. It wasn't because he had grown and become this great, fantastic coach. So I want to see D'Amico bring in guys that he knows. He knows. I know this guy. I know I'm leave, losing this guy in two, three years. I know I'm losing him or her. I'm losing him or her. I, there's no doubt. I'm losing this individual because he or she is just too good. But I want the Texans organization to experience what this person has to offer. And I felt like Gary Kubiak knew, Hey, Kyle Shanahan to move on at some point. Um, you know, these younger coaches are going to move on. They're good, but I got to have them so that my players get the best coaching they could possibly get. And that's what I want to see from D'Amico. I don't care if it's a guy. I don't know. Like, I'll be honest. I didn't really know too much about Matt Burke going in other than what I'd seen on hard knocks. And when I saw in Hard Knocks, you know, he's in there with JJ. It felt like just listening for the small amount of time that that you know I would to Matt Burke. It felt like okay, feels like he's a good leader. He feels like he's he's competent. He's an Ivy Leaguer, so of course I'm going to love him. But I just want guys that teach well, connect well, do it at a high level, evaluate, and then make players better. And in making players better, they make the team better. Making the team better gets them more opportunities to move on and take coordinators and head coaching spots. And that D'Amico is 1,000% fully honest with the fact that I'm going to lose this person, but that's okay. I'll take them for a year or two because they'll leave an imprint and impact on its organization. And that's what I'm hoping uh, that uh, that's what I'm hoping happens with D'Amico and the hires that he makes. And see, I'm I'm actually cool with that too, man, because a lot of people complain about the offensive coordinator position where it's like, oh, he might leave in a couple of years. If we could create a, a pipeline of just excellent position coaches and all that stuff and get to a point where you could just kind of promote, because I like what they're doing in San Francisco because D'Amico Ryans was the linebackers coach at one point. And yeah, when absolutely. Robert Sala left, then he took that spot. I, I I wish we can kind of create a pipeline of our own. That way we yeah. can kind of have that Shanahan pipeline. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'd, I'd like to be able to have. And I mean, I think that's, if I'm a coach and I know, look, I'm coming in as the, I don't know, maybe, maybe I coach just the, the nickels, 
um, like Elir did last year. I'm coming in to coach the Nichols, but what I've seen with this organization is that I can move up the ladder in this organization. They promote from within. I do a good job. They're going to promote me to another level, to another level and keep it going. Those are places coaches want to be because first of all, you're going to learn from really, if guys are moving up and moving out, then they're good. So you want to learn from good and great. And so that's what you can do. And, you know, look, I mean, it's 49ers weren't the first team to do that and they won't be the last. I mean, we joke about the Patriots um, and all the page, but that's what the Patriots did. They promoted from within. And then when it was time, boom, Bill O'Brien went out and then Matt Patricia went out and then Josh McDaniels went out and then Bill O'Brien came back in and Matt Patricia came out. You get the point. Um, But that's where, that's where coaches want to be. They want to be in a place where they can, because coaches are, are nomads. They're, they're used to every year at the end of the year going, okay, where are we going to be next year? They're used to hearing their kids say, well, where am I going to be next year, dad? Um, where are we going to be next year? So for a coach to go in and say to his kids, look, I think we can be here for a little while that we can establish roots uh, and be around here, man, that's a good thing. Um, and you get great coaches that way. So my hope is that's exactly what D'Amico is is planning on doing. And and I don't know if if that's always a focus for coaches. I mean, I think coaches want to just go in and, and win. Um, and they don't care how they win. But I feel like D'Amico is going to be a guy that wants to win and create opportunities um, for his staff create opportunities and better opportunities for his players um, and give them the best chance to win. And look, yeah, obviously it all comes down to W's, but there are a lot of different ways to get there. Um, you know, like I said, we saw the Patriots do one way, saw the 49ers do one way, the Eagles have done a different way. I just want to make sure that D'Amico finds the right way alongside Nick Casario and they together find the right way uh, that makes this organization, you know, a pillar of success and other teams can point to it and go, hey, I want to do it like that. We need to we need to be doing things like the Texans are doing, and that'll be a great day when that when that happens. Hopefully, in the next year or two, the Texans are becoming that model organization. I mean, you know, the Buffalo Bills. My buddy's a sideline reporter there. We both started in 2014 and 14, 15, 16. You know, they won a few games, but they're just kind of floundering. And he would text me as we were going into the playoffs. Then they get Sean McDermott, and all of a sudden, Brandon Bean. And then things started to change, just the environment, how they did things. And now you look at the Bills, and yeah, they haven't won a Super Bowl, but you're like, that's an organization that's, they look like they're doing it right. And that's what I want the Texans to be, uh, not one that we were the last three years. Yeah, no, I think all of us who follow the team and root for the team just want to see competency at the uh, coach positions and solid draft picks going forward, man. I don't think any of us are expecting division wins anytime soon or division <laughs> titles at this point. Like, let's just get competency in the office and everywhere. So uh, you mentioned having people look at you a certain way with your Texans gear on. And that kind of brings up something I always wonder with you guys, because the national media has been very harsh on the Texans uh, these past few weeks um, after the optics of firing both David Culley and Lovey Smith after one year each. Um, there's a lot of racial-based allegations going on, saying that the optics look bad, saying some, some of the loudest voices in sports media saying that a black person shouldn't even apply for the position. And, you know, me and Figgy talked about this. Of course, we don't agree because we see what's going on here, and we saw what happened these last two years. But how do you guys deal with that? Because 
I know I'm sure you're tempted to when you see these uh, go viral on social media and you want to reply back or somebody says something to you in person, you want to clap back at them. Like, how do you guys navigate these uh, situations where people are saying these things and you just know the whole story? So, of course, it's going to look different for you. But how do you navigate those allegations being thrown at you for the your employer? Right. It's a it's a tremendous question. It's something that uh, it, it really it comes down to two words as crazy as it sounds. Don't tweet. And it's I feel like tweeting now is the one thing that just gets everybody in trouble because it's the easiest way to say, hey, I'm pissed off. And here's what I'm pissed off about. Um, and whether it's, um, you know, rap lyrics you're putting out there uh, or whatever. You know, tweeting is the one thing that's going to get you in trouble. And obviously, it's the one way. What, what's one of the ways where, you know, fans have a way of voicing their opinion? I'll, I'll tell you this this uh, quick story. So back in 2021, 20, at some point, I just happened to – I was on Twitter. I was checking my mentions. And I don't know how I, – I wasn't even tagged in this, so I don't even know how this happened. But I ended up seeing a tweet that essentially said, John Harris should lose his job. He was friends with Bill O'Brien, so he absolutely knew everything that was going on. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that Bill O'Brien didn't tell me a damn thing that happened in, in any, any, anything that happened. Nothing. I got absolutely zero from Bill O'Brien over the years. And some of that was from Bill. The other part of it was me because I didn't want to know something. I didn't want to say something that I saw with my own eyes that O'Brien thought he gave to me, and then he rips my ass for it. So I just, I stayed away from him. He, draft cut everything. I, I, you know, we would talk about them. When we talked, we talked about how's your family? You know, how's Paige doing? I mean, that's what we talked about. So this jackass is saying I should be fired because I was friends with him. He had to know. Well, somebody blasted back at him, like that, that knew me and kind of knew a little bit of the situation. And said, uh, you really don't know what you're talking about, pal. The guy then responds, oh, I absolutely know what I'm talking about. I know this for a fact. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I'm sitting in my car at NRG. I'm in the North Dock lot, and I'm I'm just sitting there. And I, I had about 20 different tweets that I almost hit send, I deleted and eventually I just heard Mark in my head, don't tweet. Just don't do it. And I eventually just started the car and I got out of there. And I'm like, you know what? It'll eventually fall out of my mentions and I'll, I'll you know. But I just realized there, there's so many inane things that end up being said uh, or misconstrued about whatever, you know, your relationship with, you know, with Bill or with the team or whatever. And people, I mean, they just get to the point where they're making stuff up and you want to, you want to blast back, but that's kind of become Mark and, you know, me and Mark's mantra, which is don't tweet because there's going to be stuff out there and it doesn't, it doesn't do any good to tweet to somebody that has so little understanding of a, what you do b whatever the situation is, it just, and, and that's hard as hell. Because for the people that know me, they know that I will clap back in a quick second. But 
I've become, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and I don't, I don't know how, other than the fact that I'm just not going to put my fingers to a tweet and reply. Um, and that's by hook or by crook. That's just the way that I've kind of, kind of taught myself to go about it. Doesn't mean that some of that stuff you see and you want to just, man, F this dude. This dude doesn't know Jack. You know what about me? Forget this. I'm blasting him. But I try not to. John Harris with Twitter first came out in 09, 10. Oh, yeah. I was blasting. <laughs> I was, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Here we go. But when I got to the point where I'm like, man, people are, I mean, that guy was literally making things up. And how was I going to fight that? What, what was I going to say? What was, was, was I, if I said, man, you have no idea what you're talking about. He fired back and go, well, yeah, I do. Like, then if I set him straight and tell him the truth, then I put people on blast that probably don't need to be put on blast on Twitter. So I'm like, it does no good. And so Mark and I, I mean, often we talk about, Hey, I saw this tweet about this and that. The other, and I was like, Mark, don't, don't tweet. And it's the same. He'll say the same thing to me. Uh, don't just don't put it down, walk away. You're, it'll go, you know, past your mentions and people forget about it and away you go. And, and that really has kind of been, I don't want to say what saved me, but it's, you don't block out the noise, but you can block out the idiocy. Um, and I think those are two different things. And when people get into idiot mode, I'm like, all right, the noise, like, I almost don't want to block it out. There's some, there've been some days on, on when we're doing Texas Monday and I'm driving up and I got the first, the first two hours of Sean and Seth and we've just played awfully. Um, and they're kind of going off about how we played. I'm like, preach, let's go. <laughs> You're right. We did look like, you know, dog, you know what? Um, I do think if there was anything that bothered me probably the most, it was the fact that in, in looking back, I, I get it. But it was almost like we weren't winning sexy enough back in, especially 18 and 19. Like we had a nine game winning streak. We had a winning streak, but it was like, we almost it was like, we weren't winning sexy enough. And it sort of bothered me. And then when we started losing, I was like, man, I go back to those days of not winning yeah. sexy enough in a quick second. Yeah. Um, but I think that's what will, I think that that's what I maybe will change is that as we, you know, turn a corner and we start to win a few games, you know, a 12 to nine win is going to be a 12 to nine win as opposed to 12 to nine. Really? You know, it's going to be different. So that's kind of my hope, but you know, we'll see. Um, and obviously D'Amico's got a big challenge ahead, but we're all we're all ready for for that to it's never gonna stop. Nobody's ever gonna be hundred percent totally happy with everything we do and how we go about it. I mean, and especially as it pertains to to Coach Cully and, and Lovey. I I say this, I love those two men. They were so kind and considerate um and generous with their time when things were not good. And it, I mean, I remember being, we're going to halftime at Miami and I remember 2015, it was 41 to nothing. And Bill O'Brien looked like he wanted to strangle me. <laughs> and this year we're down 30 to nothing. I mean, I don't know, going to Miami has done something, but we go to Miami and um, I, I don't want to do uh, any halftime, anything with lovey. Cause I just, I know it's painful. 
And so I just ask him one question. He gives me about a minute to 75 seconds of time. And I'm just, I'm grateful. You know, he could have just been like, I'm not talking. I got that a few times, but never from Lovey and never from, from uh, Cully, neither, neither one. They always gave me something and treated me um, as tough as it was. They treated me with a lot of respect. And, and I hope that everything I've ever heard from anybody talking about D'Amico is, is that, and don't take a lot to be respectful. And I hate that those two gentlemen got in those roles and were asked to leave after a year. That's as disruptive uh, as anything. And I just speaking as, you know, a coach's kid who's, you know, seen what a firing of head coach can do to a linebackers coach, you know, how that changes that family. Um, it has nothing to do with the linebackers coach, just other than the fact that he worked for the head coach. I know how that goes and I know how disruptive that can be. Uh, and I hate it for those two men that they had to go, they had to go through that. Um, and, but they've been around coaching long enough. I can guarantee you that those two probably understood it more than anybody was oh, yeah. going to understand it for sure. Yeah. What was you, you mentioned earlier about the jackasses on social media saying crap. <laughs> What what's the most what's the one thing that people um, oh. that people like to say that's not true because we get that a lot. <laughs> a lot of the times, whenever we sit loving up on the Texans, people yeah. say, "Oh, you guys get paid by them, so you got it. <laughs> you got to talk good about them," which is yeah, not yeah. true. And clearly, they don't listen to in the loop right. if they feel like we just that's all we do. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what is one of the things people always say that kind of hurts you a little bit? That's clearly not true. Uh, um, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I used the phrase lipstick on a pig. And I think people expect us to put lipstick on a pig all the time. And that we're always going to, and that we are 100% always going to make something positive and that's not always the case and i remember i go back to that 2015 game against miami and it's it's always it's always funny doing texas monday because i can tell when mark kind of doesn't want me to get near the microphone <laughs> and he'll have kind of a long monologue to start but in that monologue he let loose um and i think what people don't always understand is that we'll we'll tell you Offensive line wasn't good today. What we won't say is Larry Tunsil sucked or Titus Howard sucked or, you know, Scott Quesenberry stunk or, you know, we, we try and put a kind of a group effort on it all. But people think, oh, no, they're going to tell us how great everybody is and this and that. And like, you know, if you if you really truly listen, no, we'll, we'll tell you. We just won't say, OK, this guy screwed up. Because I guarantee you, invariably, we tell you somebody screwed up. Five minutes in our break, we walked out of the cafeteria. I'm getting a water out of this cooler, and guess <laughs> who we're going to see? That player. That player wasn't listening, but, you know, you just try and put more of a, a group aspect. Now, if guys are doing well individually, you know, we'll point those guys out. But if guys are not playing well, we try and be – it's the group that's not playing exceptionally well. Um, and I think that can be hard, but – you know, if it's one person in the group, we just we try to stay away from names and stuff. But I think people think that we're always, no matter what, going to try and tell everybody it's so great. And this year, I think, was definitely that year where we were not 
we were not in that business at all. Um, so I think that's that's probably that's probably the biggest. Now that that Bill's no longer here, um, I think I think I've stopped hearing. Oh well, you're only you're only saying this because Bill's your buddy, um, and Bill's the, you know, look by the end of things, it was not Bill's. It was not Bill's my buddy. It was Bill's the head coach of the Houston Texans, um, and so there was a there was, you know that that was. That was, we just, we weren't, we didn't even have time to talk, but that also was by design, like I said earlier. Um, So I didn't know what the game plan was. I didn't know what we were doing. I had nothing to do with the Hopkins trade. Um, (laughs) I had nothing to do with any of that. And I heard all those things. I heard all those things. Oh, you had to know Hopkins was being traded. Um, They, you had to know. I'm like, (laughs) nope. Um, I had, I had, I mean, I found out in COVID the same way as everybody else did. I was down in Galveston. I found out at like, I don't know, 11 o'clock that day. I got to go on the radio that night and talk about my favorite Texan ever, a guy that I knew, a guy that I loved. And I got to talk about him being traded? Like, what? <laughs> and I didn't have an opportunity to see DeAndre until we played him in Arizona at 21. Mm. And... That's that's one of the hard parts is you you be in the building you get to know these guys and I got to know Hop pretty well and he I hadn't seen him for two years and so they beat us like thirty one to five or whatever and I'm like you know what I'm gonna go find him and JJ out of field and so he's kind of talking he's seeing some of the guys and he turns around and he sees me and he's like my baby boy and he just gives his big hug and I'm just like oh man <laughs> and. I kind of wish people had seen that because then people would stop saying, oh, well, you knew or you were happy because your guy traded DeAndre Hopkins. Look, that gutted, gutted me, gutted me. I hated that move almost more than anything. And I speak for a lot of fans. I know when I say that, but yeah, um, that to me was kind of the, oh, boy, oh, bleep moment. Um, and I had nothing to do with that. And yet people wanted to believe uh, that I did because, well, I knew Bill. Um, and that was that was frustrating because I wanted to say, uh, you bleepers know absolutely, you know, nothing. Um, and so that was, that was, uh, that was tough. But, you know, you just kind of roll with it. And like I said, once people get to idiot mode, I could shut that off. When people are saying that things are bad and they have good reasoning behind it, you know, what can I say? I mean, that's, you know, that's it's the truth. You know, people are are saying it, but when they're injecting what they think has gone on, and it's like I said, oh, I had a part in trading. Hot, like, uh, okay, I can I can shut that off pretty easily. It's hard to laugh at it sometimes, but sometimes you just laugh at it and go, all right, whatever, next. Well, John Harris, thanks to a former Texans running back, Arian Foster, we do know the NFL is scripted. So we do know you knew about the Hopkins trade before, okay? <laughs> Jig is up, man. You ain't got to fake the funk no more. He exposed it, okay? Uh, you yeah, knew it was going to happen. You showed us the script before you hopped on. <laughs> I'll tell you this. If, um, if, if I had seen that script before it happened, I would have done what Tom Hanks did to his contract um, in a league of their own. I would have I would have unzipped and leaked all over that thing because I would have definitely not wanted that uh, to happen at at all. Um, I, just, I, I love that guy. And and he, he even said, he, you know, he, he was like, I wasn't perfect. I admit that. Um, and to me, and, th- and this goes back to D'Amico too. And I think this is said about the Texans a lot. 
And that is, well, they like choir boys. They want to have choir boys. They want to have guys yeah. that aren't, you know, uh, they aren't issues off the field or they don't have problems off the field. And I do think there is a fine line between going out and finding guys that, you know, are doing uh, abhorrent things, um, you know, beating women, uh, sexual assault, whatever the case might be. You know, those are guys that, you know, you stay away from, but 32 teams stay away from those guys. But a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, he had his issues. Think about his upbringing. A great coach and a great leader is going to find a way to make that player work and want to play for that team and for that staff and for that head coach every single game. And I think about Mike Tomlin dealing with Antonio Brown. When we found out all the things after the fact that Mike Tomlin seemingly had been covering up. Like, nobody knew Antonio was, you know, a little out there, right? Nobody knew that. Why? Probably because Mike Tomlin was able to do things behind the scenes and work his magic and get Antonio to play hard, not only for himself, but for the team, uh, for the Steelers, and for Mike Tomlin. I felt like DeAndre Hopkins was one of those players that you could have counseled, found a found a, a, a common ground and foster a relationship and not have it deteriorate to a point where he's being traded. And you can miss me with the, oh, he wanted a new contract. You can miss me with that. That's, that's a convenient excuse. But you could have made that work. And I feel like great coaches will take players that might have an issue or that might be vocal. Um, you know, they might have, you know, they put, might put stuff on social media. You know, they might be, um, you know, like as long as they're good to their core, then I feel like a great coach can get something out of that player and get him to be a great teammate and get him to be a great player. And to me, it was convenient to just take a guy that was seen as a whatever problem and move him along. And that I felt like was a was that obviously started the downward spiral. And it wasn't all that. It was already there were already signs and there were already cracks yeah. in the armor. But that was a massive, massive part of it. And I hope that D'Amico coming in as a coach is one of those guys that, yeah, this guy's had a few problems for whatever reason. You know, uh, who who knows what happened back in college? You know, there maybe there was a there was a misdemeanor. I don't know. Who knows? But D'Amico's the kind of guy that can sit down and counsel and teach and allow those young players to learn and leave that stuff behind and become great citizens and, and give back to the city of Houston where they're playing their ball. And that I hope is a guy that he becomes as, as the head coach in early in his career. I felt like Bill was doing that. There's always that one player that you just maybe kind of butt heads and you can't like find that common ground with. And I feel like over time, that's what happened with, with he and Deandre, but either way, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> nothing, nothing. So nothing. You say. So you say. <laughs> so I say. <laughs> nothing. Cross my heart. What's the cross my heart? Hope to die. <laughs> kiss a needle with a fly. Whatever. That Anyways, I I knew I knew nothing of that. And I I had to say, what was everybody's reaction when you saw the tweet from Schefter that said he had been traded? It was one word. It starts with F. And we all had the <laughs> same reaction. And we may have added a few adjectives or other, you know, adverbs to it, but that was the overriding thought when we saw it. And trust me, that was the first word that came out of my mouth. And I'm sitting at the beach, the most glorious place in the world, 
and it's the most miserable day in the world because now this has happened and I'm like, oh, but I had nothing to do with it. Nothing. <laughs> Well, on that note, I want to keep it there for a second. And what up, Spoon? We see you. We got some questions in the chat, so we're going to ask that in a minute. Um, what up, Pablo, as well? See you on Facebook commenting. Everybody watching, we appreciate y'all. But on that note, I do want to ask, since we got the raw and uncut version of John Harris here with us today, <laughs> spilling all the tea, telling us everything that's going on, man. One thing I never got y'all's perspective on because it happened at a, a time when you guys were off air and then everything spiraled was of course the Deshaun Watson situation. Yeah. Like still, I, I really still can't believe it actually happened like it did. Like I've never seen anything in sports like this. Um, and so I, one thing I always remembered was I want to say it was at the end in the be beginning of 21 at the end of the 2020 season, I think it was the last game, whoever they were playing. Yeah. And I want to say That's you were on, I think you were on the air with uh, Sean and Seth. And I remember this. You said, the one thing that gives you hope for, for the future of the Texans is Deshaun Watson. Yep. Because we all Absolutely. thought he was going to be here for a long time. Absolutely. Now, I remember that because a few days later, the, the trade demand came through. <laughs> and then, of course, after that, the lawsuits came and everything spiraled. And I think at the when y'all did come back to radio, y'all basically just didn't bring him up anymore. So what was your reaction before the lawsuit, before all that happened? What was your reaction when you saw that news come down? You mentioned there were some, you know, issues with the, with Hopkins that you could see before, like cracks that were showing. Was it, was it the same with Deshaun Watson? Did you hear things? Did you know there was discontent? Or did, were you just taken aback like all of us were when we totally heard this? Stunned. Totally stunned. Um, I mean, stunned. Uh, I, I, when I, all that, you know, I what I remember about that, we were, we were off air. And so the season had just ended. We just played Tennessee and they beat us on a doink field goal. Yeah. Sean has brought us back in that game. I mean, he's throwing the ball as well as I've ever seen him throw. I mean, he's throwing to um, Chad Hansen. Uh, I mean, he's making, uh, I mean, it, it was, I mean, he was, he was incredible. Um, but then, you know, the, the situation, okay. Like he has the press conference and he talks about things are going to change and, you know, going forward. And then, then when, when Nick is hired, I think the the I don't know whatever tweet he put out at that point, some that stuff was never changed time. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember exactly what he had said, but it was something at that point where I was like, "Oh no!" And that's when I was like, I could see where this. That was the first time where I was like, "Oh boy, this is this is not good." So we, you know, at that point, we, you know we're kind of we're, we're dark in the building and we're like we're like everybody else like what's going to happen we have no idea what's going to happen at this point when the lawsuits came up and it became a legal situation and at that point we're like i mean we can't really talk about this because it's first of all why we can't talk about this knowledgeably because it's not a legal situation and so what i don't know what we can we, we really can't say anything about it being legal. So at this point, we, and you just never know when 
you know, and, and this has happened, you know, oh, employee of the, the team. Here's a here's a quick one. After the after the uh, this is why we really didn't say anything, but it's a different story. So somewhere later in the 2020 season, I got a call from David Barron, who used to be at the Houston Chronicle. And he just started asking me a bunch of questions. And so he never told me he's doing a doing a, a write-up. He didn't tell me he's doing an article. And he was just asking me a bunch of questions about, about Bill and and then he started asking about our relationship and all this stuff. And I was just like, I'm keeping this, I'm keeping this above board. You know, I, you know, and I didn't realize he was going to write an article, but I didn't, I didn't say anything, but he asked me, was it difficult being the sideline reporter because you two knew each other? And I was like, Oh yeah, that I said, it wouldn't mattered who knew each other. I said, when you have a relationship and you're in that role, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult, but it had nothing to do with Bill and I having difficulty. It was just the two of us having known each other. So when the art, so he puts this article out and the headline, they put Harris says it was difficult to work with O'Brien. Oh, got you, man. Yeah. And I'm got like, you. Son of a bitch. <laughs> so I get a call from Mark. Um, and I didn't even know the article was out. He goes, Hey, just let you know. And, and he's, so he told me that, that bill had called, you know, had called him and said, Hey, what's the deal? Like, and you know, what's going on. And bill hadn't read the article. He just saw the headline. Well, of course, if, you know, headline porn, if you see the headline, you're going to, you know, and so the article itself, once you read the article is like, Oh, there's nothing really here. But because that got put up, it's like, oh, man. Well, I mean, that's not – I mean, I said that, but that's not what it's in relation to. If you go back and read the, read the article, you see what I meant by the word difficult. Like, and I, and I, I put it out there. So at that point, I'm like, man, that was – that's some BS. But that also kind of showed us, all right, look, anything that we say about this situation could end up – God knows where. So we we just need to follow whatever legal advice, leave it out of the discussion, and that's all we really can do until there is a the, there's a decision made by somebody, a legal jury, whatever, by somebody of what's going to happen um, and how it's going to happen. And because that thing dragged out for so long, there was there was I mean. There was nothing really that we could or we were going to say about it. So we just kind of stayed away from it because there was nothing that we could add. And especially as voices of the team, how is that going to be misconstrued? Sort of like it was in that article that that was written that I was complete. I was quoted properly, but the way the headline porn. And so we talked about that, that, that incident actually, and how it kind of shaped the way that we went about it. And we're like, look, we don't want to end up in that situation again. And we don't want to get to a point where we say something and I'll be brutally honest. I knew nothing of what had happened, what had gone on. I wasn't going to read those, those, the transcript. I listened to, to you guys. I listened to Landry and John talk about it and Sean and Seth guys in the afternoon. I, I just listened to them talk about it. And I was like, at at that point, it didn't become a football situation per se. And so we just stayed away from it, right, wrong, or otherwise. 
we have gone through those situations where, you know, being in the team, if we say something gets brought into legal and all of a sudden you get involved, like, ah, no, we don't want to be involved in that. So until something is done, let's just, we know it's there. We have to know it's there, but what can we add to it? Um, that obviously you guys weren't adding to it or that we could add to it that made any sense. And so we just left it. And that was the way that we went about went about it. Had it not been a legal situation, first of all, it would have been cleared up, I think, a lot earlier than it was. Um, that If there was going to be a trade and he was adamant about a trade, it would have happened by the draft. It would have been two months to talk. And then after that, he's traded and away you go. Um, then maybe we would have talked about that aspect of he's asking for a trade. Okay, well, what does that mean? Once it became a legal situation, we were just like, no, I mean, like, we're, that's not our cup of tea, man. We're staying out of that. We're going to leave that alone. Um, and that's the way we went about it. I, I got to say, too, man, us talking about that, that was probably some of the worst time in my radio career, man. It was, it was so frustrating coming in every morning and say, oh, Tony Busby tweeted this or he posted this and, and just the conversation, me, I, I, I dreaded taking calls because <laughs> you never know what you was going to get on these right. calls. The right. text line, I had to close the text line out. It was I mean, so it was frustrating. Like that thing, and that, that was kind of our thought was, you know, that that same thing. I mean, I, I don't want to say it was – I don't say it, it saved us in some sense. I mean, it, it definitely, you know, the the – the leftover odor from everything, you know, stayed with everybody for a long, long time. But we were, you know, we were kind of like that. We, you know, we had one hour and we could either spend an hour talking about stuff we had no idea about that we would just pontificate about that we were just guessing about. Um, or, you know, we can, until a resolution comes, we'll talk about it then. Um, as soon as um, the, as soon as he was found not guilty of the criminal charges, that day we did, you know, we did a live, we did a live show, talked about what this could mean. What does it mean from a trade perspective and away you go. Once the legal aspect was that part of it was handled, then we talked about it a little bit more, but, but Ryan, it's a great question. It, that was, that was a, that was a hard decision, but on the other hand, I don't know that because it got to a legal position that we really could opine on it or should have opined on it being uh, members of the team at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, like you said, it'll be different. If there was no lawsuits, but yeah, that, that definitely was understandable how it muddied things. So yeah, it's yep. best to say nothing sometimes because yeah, a lot exactly. of nastiness that came out of that whole discussion, that whole debate. I'm glad it's finally <laughs> over for the most part, at least we're, we've washed our hands of it. So that's I, Cleveland's problem now. I, yeah, and I was pissed because <laughs> Sorry, I, I was pissed because I'm a guy that grew up in Cleveland. I'm thinking like when Deshaun traded to the NFC, whew, like we ain't got to think about it. Got traded yep. to my team, the team that I yep. rooted for all my life. I'm like, um, so my timeline was full of Cleveland people having the same conversation that Texans fans were having for the past since so, 2021. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you this quick story. So um, I coached way, way, way back. And my first coaching job, I was the junior high head football coach at Episcopal High School just outside of Jacksonville. And so my two years, first two years, my two years there, I coached a guy by the name of Blake Jones. And Blake's dad worked for the Jaguars. 
and he worked for the Packers, and he also worked for the league office. So Blake was there a couple of years, and then his family, uh, his dad got a job back with the Packers, so he moved to Wisconsin after that. So I had him his first two years. Lefty quarterback, smart, you know, knew the whole game. And he was he was awesome. So he now works for the league, and he's done different things. The, the, the funniest thing is that he ended up working underneath one of my college teammates, who's a good friend of mine. But then a couple of years ago, he went and he worked for the TV side, like working with the TV partners and all that. And so he's one of the five people that does the schedule. And so he was there for our Amazon preseason game because he obviously wanted to, you know, see the Amazon production and be there for that. So I see him and I'm like, you know, I still kind of go into coach mode. I'm like, I was like, gee, D it. I mean, come on, Blake, seriously, how in the hell can we be playing the Browns on, on, on week 13 when, uh, you you know full well that Watson will be back by then because that was really I, I just it was hard enough to see him in a Browns jersey to then have to play against him I mean that was just hard so I was like I could maybe handle it next year but this year I just wanted to avoid it and he said one of the one of the I, I can't remember how I put it but it was not supposed to be that way like we were supposed to have played the Browns earlier in the year and mm. then. Tom Brady unretired. Mm. And when Brady unretired, they scrapped everything. Mm. And then when they came up with a new schedule, it just so happened the Browns were coming to Houston week 13. So Tom Brady, you know, screwed it all up for everybody again. But I there's I just I just did want to see him in 2022, but I'm glad we ripped the band-aid off and now he's with the Browns and you know, we'll see what he's able to do uh, with the Browns and figure. I hope for the Browns' case that they can they can have a winner, just not on that one day they come to NRG Stadium next year. <laughs> yeah. I, I think for some reason, I think they might probably set the schedule up where they play week one. I can see it week one here in Houston. <laughs> I said that to somebody yesterday. I said that's exactly what's happening week one. See, yeah, yeah they, they are not beating the scripted allegations here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it's week starting, one's it, coming. Yes. When I saw the schedule come out, I was like, I had the same reaction. I was like, man, so no, something's the, rigged here, it, man. Yeah. <laughs> the thing was, they had the schedule set where it's like, all right, so Deshaun probably going to be playing no matter what, unless he get a year. Right. But then when they, you know, he got his initial suspension, which was, what, six games? Yeah. It was like, all right, we know that ain't going to hold up. So right. I'm thinking a year. I'm thinking 12 games because, you know, 11 games sound kind of weird. Right. When they said 11 games, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, that. you can't make that up, man. And it made sense. <laughs> it made sense that that Mulligetta and his team pushed for 11 games yeah. because 12 games, I think, his contract wouldn't toll for another year. So mm -hmm. had he been suspended 12 games, the big money wasn't going to come till 24. And so mm -hmm. apparently they were – and, and once I heard that, I thought, oh, it makes total sense now. Yeah, I mean, 11 yeah. games. 11 games made total sense at that point. So um, it was not a great finish to the season, but knowing him, uh, I got a feeling that things will turn around for the Browns. I think he'll full year under Instafansky system. I think yeah. he's he got the, you know, he got little kids. Yeah, get the willies out, you know, and then they kind of shake it all out. I think that's what he did. He got, the, he got it all out this last five, six games, whatever he played. He'll be ready to roll week one next yeah, year. Yeah, he started looking better as as the yep. more he played. So, yeah, he'll probably yep. he'll probably get back to the old Deshaun. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so we have some viewer questions here. Funny how y'all never ask us anything about sports when we're just talking by ourselves. But now we have a great football yeah. mind telling you, you want to know all these questions, man. What, you don't trust our analysis? Okay. Brad Spoon Wright asked, do you think that having consistency with an offensive head coach is key to success in the NFL? Alex Smith had six different OCs until KC, and then, be- and then because consistency, consistent play-by-play play calling, he found success. I think there's I think there's a lot of truth to that for sure. Um, I think fit is absolutely important. I think fit almost even more than consistency. Um, how a player fits with that offensive coordinator, what that offensive coordinator wants to do. I think Brad brings up a point. When when Alex Smith got drafted in San Francisco, two thousand five, I think it was. He had an ACL tear in eight or nine, one of those years. But he had like four or five different offensive coordinators. Then Harbaugh gets in there, and it was Jim Harbaugh's first year in San Francisco, but Jim was the right fit for Alex Smith. It was the right fit. And then they drafted Kaepernick, and then Alex Smith wasn't the right fit anymore. <laughs> but I think fit is almost as important, if not more important, than the continuity at offense at offensive coordinator. Um, if you have, if you bring in a guy, I mean, we, you know, Matt Stafford goes out with McVay for one year. They've been together for one year, uh, and they made magic happen in that one year, winning a Super Bowl. And obviously, the elbow injury was a, was a thing this year. So I think I think fit is almost even more important than consistency or than continuity. Um, I think continuity absolutely matters. But if you don't have the right fit, but you keep the same quarterback and OC together for the next two three years, then what are you what are you going to get? You're not. I mean, it's going to be a, a subpar offense, but if you have a quarterback and OC that mesh, man, they might mesh from the first week. And in that first year, you could do some things kind of like the Rams do. So I do think continuity matters, but fit matters more than anything uh, to me. And that can happen within the first few days of an OC and quarterback being together. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, next question comes from Pablo Fernandez. He has two. Uh, number one, who picks the topics? And number one, do you guys have? I know you guys do Texans Mondays. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have to, like a rundown of topics to go through? And who picks those? And how does that work out for that show dynamic? Mark and I have been doing the shows together for for so long that we know on on Texans Monday we have certain guests. Um, we know when there are segments that are quote unquote open, or we know when there's going to be an open segment. And we'll discuss it during the break, even something that we have just seen happen. Um, for example, um, well, there was something there was something on Texans Monday. What the heck was it? We were we were doing Texans Monday, and it was like 8.05. And I remember seeing something. God, I can't remember what it is. Was it this year? It was this year. And, uh, was some it, breaking uh, news? Oh, firing? No, 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 it was, no. I know what it is. It was Jack. I know what it is. Yeah. And <laughs> it happened at 8.05, and we had no idea. I was, and so it's funny. We I, were like, I was in the car listening. Yeah. And, and so I look at Mark, and I, I'm, you know, nobody can see us. I've got my phone up, and I'm pointing at my phone. <laughs> and so he just keeps talking, and he eventually finds it, and then, you know, we go with it. So sometimes you get a topic – <laughs> that happens just right there, um, and we and we roll with it. But we kind of been doing it for long enough that we kind of know where where we want to go. Um, 
with certain things. You know, Thursday nights, we know we're going to have McLean. Um, we always like doing uh, who's better on Thursday nights. So we kind of have some things that we do, but we don't script it too much. So it sounds like da 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 da. We kind of want to have a little bit of improvisation to it as much as we can. I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this, but I hate having going back to our script question. I hate having a script or things in front of me. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. So when I do a show, I have nothing in front of me. I just fire. I fire on it. And if I sound like an idiot, then I'll be like, okay, maybe I need to get more thoughts kind of organized in my head before I go. But when I start writing things out, and I've known radio people that have just written every yep. single word. I mean, a few that would shock you. And I'm like, really? Every single word. And I'm like, no. I, I kind of get a few topics. And, you know, if there are some stats or something that I know are specific, you know, I'll put those on a document in front of me. But I can't – I hate having a script in front of me. I hate it. And – Mark and I, that way, Mark and I, when we get to those segments, we're kind of off, like, we'll go God knows where on, like, we'll end up talking about the Texas quarterback situation, and we'll end up talking about Super Bowl four somehow at the end. So (laughs) we can be a little bit stream of consciousness in that way, but I just, that's kind of the way both of us are. We just kind of, as long as it makes some sense to kind of bring it back to the Texans, we'll talk about it, but we usually we collaborate on that um, during the breaks and kind of as we go and shoot, sometimes something happens while we're on and we just roll with that, not knowing anything else, just kind of going with that. So I think that's the the biggest thing to me in radio is adaptability because things are going to happen. And how do you, how do you, I mean, it's like that football too. How do you adapt? This just happened. You had no idea it was going to happen. How do you adapt and change your whole show and and roll with that. I mean, D'Amico Ryan's is hired at what 445. And Clinton's show have got an hour and 15 minutes. They've been talking about it, but now it's for real. Now it's official. Okay, how do we scrap the last hour that we have and how do we reconvene for that final hour? And you got to do that on the fly a lot of times. And Mark and I, we do that on a fly a lot. So um luckily we don't have too much breaking news because we only have an hour or two hours max. So we don't have too much, but I think adaptability is just the biggest thing. Um, and then how you communicate about what you're going to do with that. And sometimes Mark just says, hey, I want to talk about AFC South. Okay, good. Because he knows anything he throws me, I'll handle it. And anything I throw back to him, he'll handle it. So very rarely do we have a situation where somebody's like, no, no, I don't want to talk about that because I don't know about that. We don't, we don't have that. Nothing is really kind of off limits. We just kind of fire back at one another uh, as we go. Um, and on that, Pablo also asked, um, how do you guys communicate during games? You want to peel the curtain back? You want to let <laughs> expose okay. the magic so, to the world? <laughs> yeah, so I think I can do that with – this is my best story, Pablo. So I'm always in queue with, with, with everybody. And so what that means is they hear me from the sidelines, and I'll give them a tackler or something that's happened, but I don't go out on the air. But then there's a switch. Hey, let's throw it down to Johnny. And then they can raise the switch and I'm on the air and they turn it off. And that's kind of how they control it. So we talk to each other uh, during the breaks uh, all the time. And, you know, Ryan obviously has a, has a, um, he has an earful for that. So (laughs) that's the man that's controlling everything. (laughs) Yeah. We also know back in the day, 
I don't know if it's so much anymore, but we knew there were people listening. We knew there were people that had the little IFBs that would listen to the broadcast, but they had our feed. So they heard everything. And so I think at one point in the uh, 19th season, I think DeAndre Hopkins' mom had one. So there were probably like four or five people that had one of those and they would listen uh, to the broadcast. So the three of us had gotten to a point where if something happened and I would say, um, I would tell them, you know, or I was short with something or I got quiet when they asked me something, they would know I was going to text them. So uh, in 2016, that was, you know, the supposed incident at halftime with, uh, with Brock Osweiler. And so I'm late getting on the field because I'm kind of, I'm kind of blocked in the room. So I don't walk out while there's an argument going on, which is probably the last thing that we needed to have happen. And so that was a game where Savage had gone out. Then he came back in and the thought was, as Bill told me at halftime, Savage is going back in, but then it's Brock to start the half. (laughs) And so Mark then throws it down to me and I'm barely on the field. And I'm like, because and, and I'm, I'm texting them what I had just encountered because I didn't want to say it with all the people that we had listening. And so I say, Mark, I'm following up on that. I'll get back to you in a little bit. And stop. It was like my shortest hit ever. <laughs> then I hit send on the text. And we get to a break. And in the break, that's when all of our discussion, we should start this discussions, you know, going crazy at that point. But it's just us listening and then whoever else would be listening. Jamie Roots always listened. He always had the IFB. And I didn't know that for the first probably year. Um, I, don't, I don't think I knew that. And so, you know, we just, during the breaks, we're just talking about the game, talking about, you know, what was happening, um, you know, crazy jerseys we would see in the stands like, Oh man, I think that's a Vikings Randall Cunningham jersey on the other side. You know, just kind of ch- you know chatting through the game, but then when the game goes back live, then they put my they put they keep me in queue, and so I can talk to everybody. And then when I need when they throw it down to me for a report, they just hit the switch or raise the little dial, and then I go on the air. But there have been some conversations over the years that have been p- pretty interesting. But that one was probably the most interesting, and we didn't even have that one. But we've kind of gotten to a point where if something happens, we'll just text each other and kind of keep that one off the air. But that time, like, we had to keep that one under wraps. But we, but it was funny because people that were listening were like, we got to the break, and they were like responding to my text. And so people were totally confused, and so it threw them off. So we were the only ones that kind of knew what was going on. So it's a select club, Pablo. How about that? But no, everybody, everybody would listen. It'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I got you guys back. It's always fun hearing you guys go back and forth. But um, I always, oh, we have I, our moments, also, man. Yeah. We have our moments. There'll be there'll be moments during a game where one of the three of us just loses it, just absolutely <laughs> lo- like dog cussing everything we're doing. Um, and then the next series, it might be the other guy. I mean, all three of us will have those moments um, at, at some point during a game. Um, and we just kind of let each other get it out. And are we good? All right, we're good. Mark brings <laughs> us back in and we're ready to rock. We have, the, we have those moments. We probably, we entertain 
Um, we entertain Ryan for sure with some of the, the colorful oh, language yeah, that comes yeah. out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, the jokes. I, 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 I'll be trying to protect Andre Ware, man. I'm like, Andre, we coming back, man. Chill out. Chill out, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get yeah, you Tom Brenneman. I mean, there's all, there are always times where I'm just kind of like, man, I hope Ryan's got the, the mute button on. <laughs> I really hope he's got us turned down for this, you know, but no, it's, I mean, we, you know, we, uh, I'd like to think we're, we're pretty, we're pretty good, but we have moments of things that have happened during games, you know, after an interception and, oh man, the 2016 season, there were a few of those when, when the Brockster was throwing some interceptions that oh, we didn't yeah. really want to have happen. Yeah. There, there were a few of those getting upset moments um, from, from yours truly for sure down on the sideline. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so we don't want to keep you too long, man. We already been at this I, for a minute. Yeah. I got um, a couple. I got a couple random questions too. You got something Come right? On, Come on, bring um, them. Yeah. I was gonna ask about the draft, but you can go first about the random. Okay. Uh, you can ask about the draft because I'm about to get off of football. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, keep it quick. Um, look, draft projections, man. The Texans have the number two and number twelve, I believe, pick yep. overall this upcoming draft. Who should we take? Why should we take them? Will we get them? <laughs> what are your thoughts about the draft at this point? So I did I did a mock draft over on my site, footballtakeover.com. And I actually, I worked two trades for the Texans, and I ended up with three first-rounders. And so I did, I did the one thing that I don't know. I mean, the more I think about it, I'm not totally sure what's the right way to handle this. But I wanted us to get back to number one. And so I traded with the Bears. So I traded a third this year and a third next year to make sure they could get their quarterback. And I, I took Bryce Young. I just, okay. I feel like, you know, somebody asked me the other day, is, is, you know, is Davis Mills career dead? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. But what he has lost in how he played this year was the opportunity to continue to say, Hey, you know, the benefit of you should give me the benefit of the doubt. Unfortunately, I think Davis ended up losing that, not playing uh, as well as he did at the end of 2021. So, and I think there's an opportunity to get Bryce Young, which there wasn't an opportunity to get anybody in 2022 that would make sense where they were selecting. So I took Bryce Young. And number 12, I selected a guy that maybe not a lot of people have heard about, and that's Keon White, defensive end out of Georgia Tech. And when I watch Keon White, the first name that comes to mind is Trayvon Walker from the Jags. And, J and Trayvon Walker flew up draft boards because he was 6'5", 275, and he ran in a 4'5 range. And he's a sick athlete. Now, I never thought Trayvon Walker was a tremendous football player just yet. He can do a lot of things. I think Keon White is a tremendous athlete who knows how to play football. But I don't think he is as athletic as Walker. So I think that means probably somewhere in the 10 to 15 range. And I had first thought about receiver. And I'm like, you know, I think a guy like Keon White helping the edge. As soon as Keon White comes into the building, I mean, there's so much you can do with him. And what at 6'4", 280 pounds, at some of the senior bowl, it's just incredible feat athlete. So I went Keon white at number 12 and then at number 27, I think it was, I made a trade with the Dallas Cowboys. I traded back into the first round and I gave up, I swapped 33. I think the second pick of the second round with the Cowboys. And I threw in a few other things to go up and get drew Sanders linebacker from out of Arkansas. I don't know what happens with Christian Kirksey. I don't, I mean, I think he's still under contract for a year, maybe, but they've got to get even more youthful at that position. I feel like there are certain positions that you've got to have youth, aggression, speed, twitch, versatility. And Drew Sanders provides all of that. 
when he's at Alabama at 21, he played ed- he was an edge rusher. When he went to Arkansas, he moved to a stack backer, but then he would rush on third downs. So he was kind of a little bit of a mix of how the Cowboys use Drew uh, uh, Mike Parsons, Parsons. They'll move him around. That's what I think Sanders and boy, what a chess piece that would be. So those are the three guys I came back with were uh, Bryce Young, Keon White, defensive end of Georgia Tech, and then Drew Sanders, the linebacker from Arkansas. And I don't know what happens at wide receiver. I do think the one thing this team has got to have is an offensive playmaker. And whether that's a a running back slot mix, weapon X sort of guy, a big receiver, I don't know. They've got to have an offensive playmaker uh, added to the mix. They'll already get Mechie. That's going to be great. But there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Whoever takes over the offense. Yeah. Bijan. And I thought, I, you know, it's funny you say that, Figgy, because I put in my mock draft, you'll see, I did consider Bijan at 12. I don't think Bijan gets far. In fact, I have Bijan going to Detroit Lions at 17, and that mm. would make Detroit all kinds of scary. Mm. Um, I think Bijan's the best running back that I've studied in, in years. Mm. Um, the, the only one that I could think of that I would have as high a, a ranking on or grade on is Todd Gurley back in 14. Mm. Um, I think I think Bijan's just fantastic, and he's in a way he's like McCaffrey in the, in the sense that I think at some point if Bijan just said, "Look, I'm done with the hits at running back," he could go play wide receiver in the slot and do just as well. Um, he's a little bit more down the field receiver than McCaffrey's more kind of the slot routes, but I think Bijan is going to catch 75 passes um, once he gets settled in a, in, uh, in an organization. So I did consider Bijan at 12. I did. Um, but I just felt like Keon White on a board. I felt like that was probably a little bit more of a of a need than Bijan felt more like need slash want. Um, and so I went with a little bit more need with Keon White at 12. Okay, well, there you have it, people. Anytime <laughs> you want to know what we think about the draft and who the Texans could take, that's our answer. We're we going with John Harris and the predictions, man. This man <laughs> knows football, okay? So, yeah, I mean, I would, I would be overjoyed to have Bryce Young, man. Yeah, but I just I don't know. I won't believe it till I see it happen. But I I would like to see it. So funny you say that, Ryan, because I said that about D'Amico Ryan's. Yep. I told. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I told in Mobile. Like it's done, and like no, it's not done. It's not official. I was like, I believe it when I see it, and then it happened. I'm like, okay, wow, all right. Well, maybe this can happen for other things. Um, and then I was like, I'm gonna win a lottery. My wife was like, I'll believe it when I see it. She was right about that one. (laughs) No, because uh, I'll take it even further back, man. Uh, I did a podcast with ESG, the Houston rapper. And um, I remember he was the first one who who was around me who said the Texans should trade up to get Deshaun Watson. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no way in hell it's going to happen, man. (laughs) No way that's going to happen with this franchise. And it actually happened. So who knows? Hopefully they can get a Bryce Young. We can have a uh, much better more a long tenured quarterback here uh, playing at a high level. But I'll say this, see. Ryan, I'll say this about, um, about Bryce and CJ Stroud. I, I like both of them. I like both of them a lot. I would, ra- I would rather have Bryce young, but some of the, the Stroud slander that I see like Stroud going number seven or number nine in this draft, I think is absolutely ludicrous. I think CJ Stroud, what he showed against Georgia were the things that people hadn't seen from him, but he really hadn't faced a defense that forced that forced him to do that. How he played against Georgia, yeah, it might be one game, but his ball placement and accuracy, like if we ended up with CJ Stroud, I I would have no I would have no issue. I'll be clear. I want I want Bryce Young. Bryce would be my first choice. CJ Stroud would be a very clear second choice. 
everybody after that, I don't <laughs> want any part of it. If somehow okay. the Texans, I don't know, if the Texans traded down or whatever, and Bra- and Young and Stroud are off the board, I just as soon spin that thing to 2024 and go draft the best. Bring in Justin Fields. Players. I'm hearing those rumors. I don't know about do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't. Like that's one of those I'll believe that when I see it. I don't. I don't see the Bears doing that. I think if there's one thing that, that Trey Lance, I'm hearing that too. What do you think about that? Okay. <laughs> oh man. So with Justin Fields, first of all, here's why I don't think the Bears are going to do this. And I know, and I know Justin does have some throwing limitations. But when you find a guy that has got it, whether it's running or throwing, but he makes things happen in the NFL, you don't kick that guy to the curb. I don't care what freaking position that guy plays, especially quarterback. I mean, I know, yeah, you might look at it and go, okay, well, we could do these other things with this guy. Yeah, but that guy's coming from college. Justin Fields proved it in the NFL. So I don't think the Bears are going to move Fields. I do think the Bears trade. In fact, in my in my uh, footballtaker.com mock draft, I had them trading twice, once with us and then with the Colts. They're able to get Jalen Carter at four and pull in a bunch of draft capital. That's what number one overall needs to be for them. So I do think the Bears will trade down, um, and maybe a couple times. But the Bears, the Bears trade options, I think, are going to be limited because the Bears can't afford to go beyond four. Because if Stroud and Young are the two highlights on offense, then Carter and Anderson Jr. are the two on defense. You can't go beyond four and take a chance, and one of those two, Carter and Anderson, are gone. So yeah. I think they've got to stay in the top four, maybe five, maybe, but that's stretching it. You got to make sure if you're the Bears that you don't screw around. You move down to seven, thinking that you're going to get one, of, you're going to get cute, get all the draft capital, but then all of a sudden you're stuck drafting even a guy I like like Miles Murphy, who's not Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. So you can't get cute if you're the Bears. You got to take what you can get, move down, get some extra draft capital, and draft Carter or Anderson. Uh, in my mock, I gave them Jalen Carter at number four. Um, Trey Lance, I was and have always been a Trey Lance guy. But there is no way in hell I'm trading for a guy coming off an ACL that hasn't proven really anything in the league at all. Now, if there's anybody that's going to know more about him, it's going to be D'Amico. And if they end up hiring a guy like Bobby Slowick, then Slowick's going to know him, obviously, as a passing game coordinator in San Francisco. They're going to know, and I would have to trust them. I've always been a Trey Lance guy. I just can't get there with Trey Lance. And here's the other thing, too, with Trey Lance. Brock Purdy tore his ace is UCL. Apparently, he's getting Tommy John surgery. That's going to shelf him for a whole year. Yeah. yeah. So, Kyle said Garoppolo's not coming back. And Purdy shelled for a whole, shelled for a whole year. And the old guy finally retired. Who the hell does San Francisco have to play quarterback? It's got to be Trey Lance. And they got to hope that he's healthy enough to be ready to go 12 months after he tore his ACL. So I don't think the 49ers are going to mess around and move Trey Lance at all. I don't think it makes sense for them whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. That's what I've been saying a lot, too, because a lot of people were saying, oh, maybe you could get Trey Lance for a third-round pick. I'm like, third-round pick? I'm like, man, (laughs) John Lynch should be fired if he trade him for a third-round pick. That's that's like saying to somebody, you know, somebody bought a Maserati – and it's kind of been in the shop. It's only got 5,000 miles, but I'm going to trade them this Honda Accord for the Maserati because they're mad at the Maserati. Like, yeah. what the, like no. Yeah. No, they still think Trey Lance can be the future. And they drafted Trey Lance thinking he 
had a higher ceiling than Jimmy Garoppolo did. That was the reason they drafted him. So they yeah. want the ceiling of Lance. They didn't want the floor of Garoppolo. They were just stuck with it when Lance got hurt. Uh, and then Purdy comes in, and he's kind of the, a mix of both. And you're like, wait a second, this could work until yeah. they decided to block Hassan Reddick with a tight end. And, well, the rest is history. Yeah. And then, too, you really don't know where Purdy going to be, especially now with the injury. You yep. you still not really sure what he is right now. So, and yeah. you got Trey Lance on a rookie contract. I would use him like Taysom Hill before I trade him. I'll just Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I don't think Trey Lance is um, <laughs> if the in, if, if the ACL is worse than anybody thinks or knows, they certainly can't trade him cuz nobody'll take him. Mm-hmm. If the ACL is recovering like it should, he should be ready to go you'd think by the beginning of the season. And that's the guy they traded all that draft capital for. I mean, I just don't think I don't. Neither situation seems to point to they're going to trade Trey Lance. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm glad that's a sigh of relief for me, man, because I was getting scared <laughs> by those reports. So I saw Trey Lance play this year, man, this past year, and I don't, I don't know about that. Um, I'll say this, Ryan. I'll say this about about Lance, and it's hard because he's started so few times against us in the first half. In 2021, we played them out there. He was flustered. We we had him flustered. He took a hit from Justin Reed early in that game. And that that for the first half, like that shook him up. He he missed some things. And I thought, man, okay, he's showing his rookiness in this game. But in the second half, the game slowed down and he hit Kittle on a throw, and Kittle made a great catch. He hit Debo on another throw. And you know, you started to see things kind of open up and I remember saying at that point, they need to stick with Lance the rest of the way here. Going back to Garoppolo, they might be able to do certain things. They got to the NFC Championship game. I don't know if Lance stays and continues and does some things. I don't know. They obviously felt like he wasn't ready because they went back to Jimmy. I think there's something there, but I just don't. I, I think San Francisco is the right spot for him. But it gets tricky with that. That you guys mentioned, he's on a rookie contract. It, it gets tricky now because he's going into year three, and you got to make a decision where you're going to give him that fifth year option. And yeah. now he's on ACL. It, it gets dicey there for San Francisco for sure. Yeah. All right, Figgy, what are your uh, random questions for John Harris that you got? Yeah. So we've been talking about football for an hour yeah. and 45 minutes. And you had your little tablet saying you on vacation, looking at tape and all that stuff. Yeah, I want to know what you watch on TV, man. What's some of your TV shows you go to that's oh, not Rudy? Don't, no, don't don't mention, <laughs> don't mention Hard Knocks. Remember okay. the Titans. So, what are some good I mean, shows I do, you watch? I do like sports movies. There's there's no doubt. But my my all time favorite show, uh, which became my son's favorite show. In fact, I think we have the we have the two. We have the same Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Okay. Um, we we watched Better. I I watched Breaking Bad when he got old enough to watch Breaking Bad. He loved it. So we watched Better Call Saul together, which was kind of cool. Um, which was just an incredible show. He got me interested in two shows I would never have watched, but he got me interested in them. One's called The Boys. Um, yeah. And the uh, and the other one's called Doom Patrol. Yeah. That's and a good so one too. we're 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 caught up on those. Um, and I'm like, I don't, I would probably, he convinced me to watch those. Um, and so, so I did, but one of my, and I don't even know why I call it a guilty pleasure. I just think it's a really cute show. And I used to be a teacher. 
So I love Abbott Elementary. I absolutely it's my love favorite that show. show, man. It's a great show. I I love that show. Like I said, I used to be a teacher, and so the it's not the same. I mean, I taught I, I taught at a private school in Jacksonville where it felt like every single kid in that household came from a a, a bank account with two commas in it versus they're in inner city Philadelphia. So a little bit different, but yeah. being a teacher, you saw a lot of the a lot of the same sort of things just at different different times and i just love i just i love the mix on that show i mean quinta brunson just yeah. she she crushed it with it i mean it, it's just a it's such a well written show and i'd watch like the first four or five episodes and like i don't know it was probably one weekend i think it was one it may have been afc championship nfc championship weekend there's nothing really going on on saturday and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and watch Abbott Elementary. It's like 20-minute episodes. It's like zoom, zoom, just zip right through it. <laughs> Got caught up. Um, watched the Valentine's Day episode last night. So so you those, just started this. So you just started this show. Yeah. I, 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 when it came out last year, I watched like the first four or five episodes. Um, and then after that, I just – it was on my DVR, but I just uh, – you know, then the second season comes out. I'm like, dang it, I didn't finish the first season. <laughs> and so I just bit the bullet this weekend and kind of got through it all. So I watched them all back to back. So that's that's uh, that's probably the that's probably my favorite show right now that I'm watching um, because the boys haven't come back. Doom Patrol is on a break, and the Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad are both finished. But yeah. I love Abbott Elementary. It's such a it's such a cute show. I love it. <laughs> Jay on Twitch said Euphoria. Don't watch Euphoria, John. I have heard some parent. I have I've I've heard some whack things about Euphoria. And I've got a I've got a 20-year-old daughter about to be 21 out in Los Angeles. And the last thing I want to think about is is what I've heard yeah. from Euphoria. Yeah. With don't, don't, that's, that show no. is gonna scare you, you man. Don't watch you, that. You know who liked that. that show a lot, right? John McClane. He likes Euphoria. He love he loved that show. <laughs> I can't, can't do it. I'm not. He loved I'm that not, show. I'm not gonna do it. I'm and not. He loved that show. I'm not gonna do it. He loved that show so much. He actually called his podcast, which is called the Utopia <laughs> Podcast. He it, made the mistake of calling that. Euphoria Podcast. <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, that's the show. Knowing the general, knowing the general, I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah. But yeah, those those are the shows that um, I'm trying to think. I mean, most. I love documentaries. So if you put together a documentary, uh, I'm going to absolutely, without a doubt, watch it. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen so many cool documentaries lately. I'm trying to think of what, what's been. In fact, I was just before I got on with you guys just watching the Bill Russell documentary that's on Netflix. It just came out uh, mm -hmm. like a day or two ago. Mm -hmm. um, so been, I was watching that. So it can be on any, any topic when it comes to documentaries. I, 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 I absolutely love them. And I love the, I love the, this one's not shocking. I love the behind the scenes sports shows, the F1 show that's on Netflix, and then the new one they put out called Point, uh, Breakpoint on tennis mm. are the fabulous. It is, I mean, they're they're so incredibly good and so good such that the PGA Tour was like, "Yo, wait, we saw all that F1 stuff and we saw what it's doing for F1 TV ratings. We want you to do that for us." And yeah. so the same group that F1 is doing that golf show, and I can't wait for that to come out. So that's going to be sweet. Did you? Yeah. I, oh, I, I was always wondering what people 
what suddenly everybody was talking about F1. I found that show way later, but everybody suddenly was going yeah. crazy about F1. I was like, okay, but it was because <laughs> of the show. So, yeah, all right. Absolutely. I, I sometimes have a hard time watching race because what you see in the show and what you hear on the show, yeah. you're not getting during the race all the time. So I can't wait. The new season's out February 24th, so you can tell I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, so I've already got the date. I already got the date. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so ahead, um, you um, you watch a lot of documentaries. Did you see the Kanye doc, the uh, Genius? It's, so I watched the first. I think I watched the first episode and a half, and then. Kanye kind of went off the deep end with his yeah. anti-Semitic comments, yeah. and I was like, I don't know, man. I uh, do I want to support? Don't want to support this anymore. And so at that point, I, I I stopped it. I didn't get back to it. But um, I remember you guys talking about that. In fact, I I had started the first episode, then I heard figure you guys talking about it. I heard Landry talking about it. I was like, I gotta watch this. So I watched like the first episode and a half. And then I was like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I want to continue supporting this guy. And and so at that point, I stopped it. I feel you. I feel you. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's a pretty good watch until like the end. The yeah. end is where you probably watch. Really That's yeah, more you, modern Kanye. Yeah. yeah. And so really the first two the episodes is pretty much back in the day. Yeah. How he started. The third I mean, one. His, the third his one hustle, is. There, I mean, it, it's funny to say in some sense, but it's like. <laughs> His hustle, where he got to, and how he got there, it's it, it's unreal. I mean, I, it, I mean that hustle and how he went about it and his self confidence. Because the one thing that I always have kind of trouble with myself is, is like self confidence. Like, do I, you know, I'm not always. I know it sounds kind of strange because I'm on the radio and all that, but I'm like, I don't, you know, when I hear people like people will call me the professor, or, you know, like you guys are talking about football guru. Like sometimes I'm like, hey. I don't know when I hear that I feel like Kanye had so much confidence in himself yeah. like he actually believed he was you know he was a beats god you know and it that he you know he felt that like he internalized that and yet he did have some insecurities but he was so assured of himself and I always I envy that and I shouldn't but I envied that because I want to I want to feel that way I don't want to make comments like he's made but yeah i want to feel that self-assured in what i'm doing every single day like he is and how he built himself into the empire that it's become it's it's, it's been it's been crazy to watch for sure no Deb, like you could see in the beginning when nobody knew who he was he would walk right. around new york town new york city and nobody would know who he was he's like next year everybody's gonna know my name yeah like how'd you know that man but he, yes. he manifested it but yeah, he has gone off the rails, so people who don't want to support him, I 100% understand because, yes, it's gotten crazy lately, yeah. so that is what it is. Um, before we get you out of here, man, uh, we ask everybody their top five rappers of all time on his Ooh. show. But, um, <laughs> you better sit up for this one. <laughs> since you're the, the football guru, I know you don't like being called that, but you are. You just got to accept it, man. I want you to list your top five rappers but break down their skill set like their draft Ooh. prospects. <laughs> Man, okay. Um, now, and and this is the this is the some people you think of rappers. Some people I'm gonna one of my one of my favorites. I'll just give you two or three of my favorites. Um, I always loved Nas. Okay, I he was 
he was one of his his lyrics were so different like when i when you listen to it back in the day it just was so foreign to anything that you heard uh that was out there like oh, i can't get i can't get enough of this um the other one the next one is a group and this was the this was more a biopic than it was a documentary but I listened to Wu-Tang Clan and it confused me way, way back in the day. Like, wait a second, I got all these damn voices. But man, when they're all together, this is this is nice. But I love Wu-Tang. And so this past, so this first day of training camp, I'm driving up and it's like we gotta be in the air at eight. I'm driving up, I'm leaving. It's like 545, I'm leaving the house. <clears throat> Something along those lines. And Wu-Tang Clan, Protect Your Neck comes on. Yeah. And I got so super hyped. <laughs> I mean, super hyped. And they, to me, the one thing I always talk about draft prospects that I love the most, and it's funny because it's become a bad word in Houston because it got used so often. But when you have, when you have versatility and elite traits all in the same group or musician, I think it's the same as having it in the same, in a same, in a player. And I felt like all the different elite traits you had, whether it was Rizzo with beats, whether it was method, method man was so cool to me. Um, he was, uh, he, I love method man. He just was so chill that I thought he fit so well into the group. And then you got ODB who's crazy as hell. So yeah. you put all this together and yet it works. And so, it, you know, like we talked about Drew Sanders a little while ago. It's like, wait a second, this guy rushes the edge, but he plays a stack backer. Like, does that go in the same player together? That was sort of Wu-Tang Clan to me that you put all these different voices and the versatility of their voices. And with the beats that RZA put together, and you came up with that, with Wu-Tang Clan. I mean, that's uh, that, that to me just speaks volumes. Drake has always been one. I know that's probably controversial in some sense, but... I, I don't know that I liked the what was the show that he was on uh, back on Nickelodeon. Degrassi, yeah, yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't care for that Drake. I I like the fact, <laughs> and we talked about this a little earlier, that when Drake needs to clap back, he'll clap back, and that's what we talked about. You know, like I don't, I'm not gonna clap back and just you know kind of move beyond that, but I need to, and I have to. Okay, I got it. I can clap back, and I feel Drake's got that. I, I've always, I always loved. I've always loved everything he does. The album that he did, um, uh, Nevermind. What's the, is it honestly, Nevermind? Honestly, never Nevermind. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. And it's got a little bit more of a dance feel. And I was like, like, do I like this? And I found myself, <laughs> damn, I like this. So it was a little <laughs> different. So I liked him kind of kind of going out on a limb a little bit, um, doing something a little bit, you know, something a little bit different, like a pass rusher. You know, he's always coming from the edge, but oh man, now he's going to line up on the inside and do something different. Now nah, he can't do that. And then oh, what he does. Um, so Drake is up there for me. I'm a big J Cole guy. I, okay. I love I love J Cole. Um, I just all everything dating back to before he was J Cole, as he says, you know, a B list celebrity. I I loved. I, I loved his sideline story. I mean, of course, I'm on the sideline, so I was connected there. <laughs> but, he, but he played ball. He was a basketball yeah. player. Like, he was a legit basketball player. So 
I love the fact that somebody can do different things because I know this used to happen to me a lot in sports radio. Like people would pigeonhole me. Oh, you only know football. You only know football. I'm like, bro, I played three sports. I was all state in basketball. Um, I was all district, all region in baseball. Like I know sports. I know these games. I've played these games. I know it. And I just like seeing somebody that can do different things. And I feel like Jay Cole can do, um, do different things. And to me, and maybe it's because he's just been like the Tom Brady. He's been around for so long, but it's like everything he puts out. I know it gets, you know, picked apart because that's just what happens. But I don't know if you find anybody better than Jay. I mean, I mean, it was just unique. His voice is so different and distinctive. And then you, then you listen to the bars he spin. You're like, yo, that's different. Whoa, what did he just say? Did he just say that about OJ? You know, he just, it was just different. But I love this delivery and just how different he is. And I saw a video, I think it was, I think it was uh, last week. I don't know who posted it. And I, I don't know where half the stuff comes from on Twitter. But it was Jay-Z hearing the beat to, and I can't remember what it was. Timbaland was playing him some beats. Dirt off your shoulder. Off yes, Fade yes. to Black documentary. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was the first time he was hearing that. Yeah. And just seeing him light up and like, yo, I can do something with it. But that was awesome. And so to me, he's, I think he's the Tom Brady. He's the GOAT. He, there's just nothing, you know, he's been doing it year after year. And the thing about it is, you think back to, to some of the great rappers or just even good rappers. And it's like, they're gone in a minute, man. It's like a couple albums, you know, third album kind of, eh. And then maybe not sticking around. It's like Jay just spits out albums. Um, and every one of them you go, yeah, there might be a song you don't care for. It might be something. But for the most part, you're like, yeah, it's, that's tight. I like that. So those would be ones that probably on my playlist, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else on my playlist that I, that I have. Um, but those are probably the ones that stand out the most to me uh, that I like the most. Okay. Okay. Um, your, your, your buddy, Bill O'Brien, love Rick Ross. Do you like Rick Ross as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he loved Rick Ross. Um, yeah, I got, I got plenty of Rick Ross on, on my, okay. uh, on my playlist for sure. So I, yeah, I got, a, I don't know. I, I don't old playlist. I had a bunch, I had a bunch of his stuff. Um, uh, probably not as much, probably not as much anymore. I don't know why I just, just haven't put it on there, but but yeah, Rick Ross is. I'm good with Rick Ross. Okay, okay, I'm good well, very commendable, Ross. man. Good job, good yeah, job. I like, good, I like man. the breakdown. I like the breakdown. You rolled with it. A commendable list, respectable list too, man. Um, Jay on Twitch uh, co-signs your Drake uh, nod. He says Drake literally has something for everyone. If someone want to be hard and their feelings are women in the club saying they don't need no broke boys, literally something for everyone. Yeah, yeah. That's why Drake is so big. He makes music for everybody. You know, he cast a wide net with his music. So, so when I was in the car ride with my, I was in the car with my family one day, and for some reason we decided to play this game, and we put my playlist on shuffle, and it was how many times was Drake going to come up on the shuffle? Oh yeah. From we were like thirty minutes from the house, and <laughs> like Drake came up three different times. I was like, look, man, I got, I don't know how many songs on a shuffle. Like, it's going to come up once, maybe, maybe. No, I came up like three times. So I like Drake. And, you know, I know some people, I know some people hate on Drake, but I don't. I, I just think, you know, is he perfect? Hell no. I mean, nobody, nobody really is, other than maybe Jay. I mean, 
when Jay puts something out, it feels like it's perfect. But, um, but yeah, Drake's now he, and he's been doing it for a while too. He's definitely yeah. not fading to black that, you know, uh, like some artists have for sure. He's definitely um, sticking around and staying around. So now he can miss me with the college basketball and the basketball stuff. That's yeah, like, yeah. He, he can miss his, me his with picks that. are cursed. Yeah, his like picks he, are he cursed. Can, he can yeah. miss me with that. Um, <laughs> you know, but J. Cole actually played the game and was good at it. So yeah. I can I can live with Jay. Okay, very respectable, very respectable, man. Um, so I don't know when we're going to put this podcast out. We'll probably do this a whole separate podcast from what we usually do. Uh, but, um, as of today, right now it is February 10th. I want to know who is your pick for the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday? Eagles and Chiefs, John Harris, who was taking it? I felt like all year long, the most complete team that I saw in person was the Philadelphia Eagles. I feel like the secondary you know, it's safety is not always 100% when, when C.J. Gardner-Johnson went down. Uh, you know, that hurt him a little bit. But Reed Blankenship, the rookie from MTSU, is coming and giving them really good play. And now Gardner-Johnson is back. Um, but I do think, you know, Marcus Epps can be an issue a little bit. But the front is so good. The linebackers are exceptional. Um, Bradbury and Slay are excellent. The offense, like, there's not a hole on the offense. There just isn't. I think Miles Sanders is due for a big game. I think the Chiefs, and they'll have to, and the Chiefs will have to make a correction. I think the Chiefs will do whatever possible to keep Jalen Hurts from hurting them with zone reads, quarterbacks, you know, quarterback scrambles, quarterback runs, and that's going to leave Miles Sanders uh, running with some favorable boxes. So I think Miles Sanders ends up playing a big role uh, in this game, and it could be his last game for the Philadelphia Eagles, an unrestricted free agent. Um, so I would imagine Miles Sanders. I, I think he could have a big ball game against the Chiefs if they overcorrect trying to take out um, Jalen Hurts and limit what Jalen Hurts can do uh, in the run game. Look, Patrick's going to do – Mahomes is going to do what Mahomes does. And and that's – you know, the Eagles – the Eagles' defense, if allowed on third down, is going to get after it. But I, th- I think the Chiefs can move the ball on them. The Chiefs can move it on anybody. But I think they can move the ball on them. The, the Eagles aren't that complicated defensively. So Mahomes has just got to take profit and keep taking profit. But I think in the end, the Eagles are going to have a bit much for Mahomes. I think they'll get after him a little bit. Uh, that pass rush will get back to him. Uh, and then I think Sanders in the run game really start to take over that game. Um, and that ends up being the difference in this one. So I'm going Eagles. That'll cover the spread. And I think Philadelphia Eagles uh, outright winner. All right. I'm, I'm rooting for them too, of course. Jalen Hurts with the Channel View connection, man. We're all rooting for him. So, yeah, I hope he takes it too, man. I hope, they, I hope the whole team takes it, but we'll see. We'll see. I just hope for a good game at this point, the Super Bowl. Um, oh, considering care- what we got, considering what we got in the national championship game in football, yeah, we need yeah. we need a Super Bowl like last yeah. year. That's we, we need a solid one. That man. game was rough, man. It's it's crazy because I was um so I was wa- I was watching Law and Order. I was into it. I'm like, oh yeah, the game on. Let me check this game. It was yeah. like 35 zip or whatever the score was. It was like the second quarter. I'm like, so let me go back. I can't to remember. Order. Something was going on that night, Figgy. I can't remember what uh, we had something going on. I don't remember what it was. So I didn't get there for the start of the game. And I watched maybe a quarter of it. I mean, y'all know I love football. I'm like, yeah. I watched a quarter. I'm like, I'm not watching this. This is like, <laughs> this isn't death by a thousand paper cuts. This is death by like a thousand axe swings. Um, <laughs> it was just like, Georgia's, I mean, yeah. we should have known Georgia. When Georgia's unleashed, 
it's it's a it's a scary program. I mean, it's scary, and it's going to be scarier watching them. It's funny. So I'm watching George on tape because obviously they've got oh Jalen Carter and you know Keely Ringo and oh, wait a second, they got all these dudes coming back. <laughs> I mean, they've got a boatload of guys coming back, especially in the defense. So George is going to be right there again when this game comes to Houston next year in 2024. So um, yeah, they're they're a monster. But I think I think Philadelphia will pull this one out. I think Jalen. Jalen doesn't and, and shouldn't feel the need to do too much, but I think once Sanders gets rolling, he'll be able to hit a deep ball over the top. And they got a, they got a that cheap. We know one of them, Justin Reed, can get over aggressive. So you get some play action in there after you've hurt him with the run, you might be able to pop one over the top to Devontae or to AJ Brown, um, and that could be the thing that changes that game. Okay, okay. Um, Jay on Twitch says, "I need a Young and Stroud take. Don't let him leave." You missed the draft talk, man. We've been rolling for two hours now, dog. We covered this. But just to recap, you do believe or you do want, or do you do you think this will happen or is this just your mock draft prediction? Like what? Yeah, I mean, what is, it's my okay, mock okay. draft prediction. Um, and, and that's the one thing I always tell people about, you know, my draft stuff as it pertains to the Texans. I I have not over the years talked to Bill O'Brien, Nick Casario, Brian Gain, anybody. Because whenever I put something out, I don't want them thinking, oh, I gave that to him. Uh, that's where he got it. And I'm like, no, no, no. I saw it with my own two eyes. So if I just stay away during that process, then they know, okay, well, he figured that out on his own, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, my, my, I, Bryce Young is the guy I think obviously a lot of people in Houston want. And that's the guy that I would want, like I said. But Stroud is not. You know, it's not Bryce Young, you know, walking to the finish line and, and Stroud's, you know, 300 yards behind. It's a lot closer than than maybe even some people say. Now they want to throw Will Levis into the mix. I'm not one of those. I do not want to do that um, at all. If, 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 and this is a little bonus, if the Texans decide, okay, they go defense and they're going to draft a quarterback, but obviously they're going to have to wait to the second round. The only guy that I would think about in a later round of draft is Jake Hayner from out of Fresno State. Only guy I would think about that. He's six foot. He's 200 pounds. So it's funny because as I was at the senior bowl, I'm like, eh, he's just too short playing NFL. But I'm like, wait a second. Who's number, you know, number two in my Harris 100 is Bryce Young. So if I think Bryce has got it and Bryce is shorter than Hayner, I can't hold Hayner's height and size against him because that dude can deal. So Jake Hayner, maybe in a later round, you know, maybe third round, maybe, maybe even have to do it a second. I don't know. But if you're going to look at a quarterback, that wasn't Young or Stroud, that might be a guy. The other guy I would think about, and this is dicey, kind of goes back to our Trey Lance conversation, is Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker, I would absolutely, absolutely, if the medicals show that he can be part of the team in 2023 in some way, shape, or form, I might fire on Hendon Hooker at some point uh, in this draft too. Um, because I think Hendon Hooker, the healthy Hendon Hooker, He's got something the NFL will like. There's no question. So the four quarterbacks that I like out of all of them, Young and Stroud and then Jake Hayner and Hennon Hooker. All right, there you go. That's your official John Harris uh, quarterback uh, <laughs> selection, man. So here, you got your CJ, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young take, man. We did it twice there for you, you just for you, Jay. All right. Um, fi final question from me, man. Um, what is your favorite Super Bowl halftime show of all time? Now, oh. don't list everyone you like. No, everybody no. does this. Oh, I like nope. Prince. Oh, I like Michael Jackson. Oh, I like Beyonce. Name your favorite one, the one that 
made you say, okay, this is the best halftime show of all time? There is no, there is nobody in the vicinity of number one for me. Not one. Not one. Okay. One of my favorite artists of all time. Grew up with him. Loved him. Missed him because I think he would have put together tremendous music as he got older. I think he's the most talented musician that I can remember in my lifetime. And that's Prince. All right. Prince's yeah. halftime show in the rain. Purple rain. Like... <laughs> I was watching with my wife and it's raining and he's got that, he's got that purple guitar. I mean, like that was ridiculous. I mean, it was a tremendous performance. Um, to me, there is second place. There's not even second place. There's one to talk about and that's Prince. And in fact, going into last year's game, I was like, Oh man, I want to go back and watch that Prince halftime show. Mm -hmm. And I went and found it on YouTube and it was, it was just as good as yeah. it could have been. And I mean, how many, how many musician divas would have the rain on them and, you know, not put together? When the rain came down, it was like he took his game up a different to like a different notch, like another whole level. It just didn't even matter. His guitar is getting soaked. He's getting rain in his hair. It was like he put on a better performance when the rain came down. So to me, there is one and all and only one, and that's Prince. Yeah. I always thought that performance was really special, too. Um, also, because at that point in his career, uh, Prince is somebody who never did old songs after a right. certain point. So as a Prince fan, I'm like, you just got to live with the fact that you're probably never going to hear Purple Rain again. Right. You're probably never going to hear 1999 <laughs> again. Right. So when that halftime show came, that was like the only time he went to the vault and actually right. played his old stuff, and it was it sounded great. So... Yeah, that that made it extra special for sure. So yeah, I was waiting for him to drop "Darling Nikki" on someone at yeah. some point. But, but that ain't that yeah. ain't quite gonna happen, I guess. Yeah, now the sense is wrong. Top of that, for sure. <laughs> yeah, especially after Janet, the sense yeah, is really oh, all over man. that. Wait, oh, so man. your song is "Darling Nikki." Um, are you sure about this? <laughs> <laughs> that would not have gone well. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, that was a different Prince. That I, that was the religious Prince. So I don't think he would have done that regardless. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, John. So uh, think you got any more questions, man? No, nah, that was it, man. I'm good. We appreciate having you on, man. Thank you for all your all your work, your hard work and diligence in uh, breaking down all this stuff football related for us, man. Um, now you're back on the radio starting Monday, correct? We are. We're back on Monday, uh, six to seven, and we'll be six to seven from Monday uh, all the way through the season, all the way through the following January. And hopefully, once we get to January, there'll be more time tacked on as we uh, go to the see. That's our goal. That's Mark and I talk about that as our goal is that we never go dark because that way that would mean that we would have gone all the way to the Super Bowl. So. That time hopefully is coming at some point. Um, hopefully it happens sooner than later, and hopefully it happens in my lifetime. But mm. but yeah, we'll be on six to seven and uh, and take it on through. Um, get ready for free agency, the draft, and and everything that goes into team building for twenty twenty three. Man, I just thought about that. how crazy would that be if if we did get to a Super Bowl. That uh, means y'all would have no time. <laughs> y'all would have no. <laughs> I'm sure y'all probably after the Super Bowl, y'all probably try to go dark for a week or something. But now, you man. know, it's funny for you. Some of the best shows Mark and I have ever done, some of the best shows that we've ever done. And I, I'm, I would imagine there are a lot of people in radio that say this when we're on like two, three hours sleep, like we've gotten back late from a game 
um, on a, on a Sunday, like we played the afternoon game on the West coast and we got to turn around and do a show and we are punchy as hell. And it's like, sometimes those are the best shows. So that first week after the Super Bowl would be kind of, it'd be interesting. That's for sure. But that's our goal, man. Just straight through. Cause that would mean we got to the Super Bowl. I, I can't, I mean, I try to visualize that moment and like, would I cry? Would I scream? Would I yell? Would I like, I don't even know what that moment will feel like. We've talked about that probably during the break of a game. Like, man, what's it like to be at the Super Bowl? Like, what's it like to win the championship game? You're going to the Super Bowl. That moment will happen. I hope. And I just don't even know how I'm going to react. And I'll probably just cry like a baby. I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just let it all. I'll just let it all out and just be a fool. But that that would that would uh, that would be something for H Town to experience. That and hopefully we do that with D'Amico's head coach. Um, who do you think comes now? You're you're all all around sports fan. Who do you think makes the playoffs first, the Rockets or the Texans? Well, I, you know, I, I got to support my guy, Steven Silas, Brown grad, 96. I'm Brown University, 94. So um, I'm a little older than he is. But I feel like the Texans, I feel like the Texans have turned the big-ass cargo ship at least going in the right direction. And I feel like the Rockets haven't quite gotten that turn just yet. And, and I don't know if it's going to take a trade. I don't know if it's going to take – one of these young guys really taking over as the like the alpha, you know, losing can't be super fun anymore. Um, I'm gonna go Texans because I feel like a. I think the AFC South is is winnable, and you don't have to be 11, 12 wins. I mean, this year the Jags won at nine eight. Now the Jags will get better, so maybe they get to eleven and twelve wins. But if Trevor gets banged up or he misses a few games. That yeah, team's back to being nine and eight, eight and uh, eight and nine. So I feel like where the Texans are in the division they're in, there's an opportunity for them to to get into mixing with seven teams making it. You sneak in, you know, uh, what was team number seven this year? I think it were nine and eight. You know, they got in at nine and eight. So can you win one more than you've lost? Hopefully you can do that sooner than later. So I'm going to go Texans on this one. Now, if the big fella comes from uh, – from France or wherever he's from, the Wimby, yeah, yeah, Wimby, yeah. If the big dude comes now, maybe all bets are off at that point because that dude is a freak of nature. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for right now, I'm going to say Texans. Okay, okay. Of course, he's not biased, y'all. Of course, <laughs> that is completely objective. But no, I, I agree. I can see it happening too because I think yeah, it's uh, hopefully things work out with the D'Amico Ryan's. We're very happy to have him in the city as the head coach. So we will see how things go. Um, but yeah, so for all your football take and all your uh, draft breakdown needs, make sure y'all follow John Harris. He is on Twitter at jharrisfootball. You can catch his work on HoustonTexans.com. You can hear him. Like he said, he'll be back on Monday after the Super Bowl, 6 to 7, Sports Radio 610. And yeah, man, exciting time to be in the football. A lot going on with the draft. So make sure you follow him. And, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us, man. We appreciate your time and all your knowledge you share with us. Man, I, I got to tell you guys, and, I, and I, I'm not saying this, you know, I'm pandering, but uh, you two are two of my favorites, man. I mean, Ryan, I get to deal uh, – I get to hang with you during the games, man. And, and Figgy, I, you know, you got to handle those two knuckleheads every single afternoon. <laughs> but I think you guys are super talented, and I love the fact that you guys have done this podcast and – after all my knocking on the door, you guys, you guys answered and let me hop on with y'all. So I appreciate it, man. 
much love and you guys keep it going. And uh, thanks again for having me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Take care, man.